0: All right, everyone, welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis podcast, a subsidiary of Doof Media Incorporated. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Brian Deacon.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: Man, we haven't sat down to do this in like two weeks.
1: Yeah, because we we flaked when we were feeling lazy on our usual. This is going to be, what, 48 hours old when people get it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's cool, but it's also right. just for me, like, I feel like out of Oh, yeah. Like I like haven't been at the yeah, gym true, in a while. Cause,
1: yeah, because last time we were at a... Uh... Inyosh's. Yeah, Yeah, that was With the his retro dope one. setup. And last oh, last yes. time is the episode I haven't heard where apparently you guys all talk shit about me. So Inyosh was acting very guilty.
0: I asked him. He asked about that. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think it's, it's less that and he was just curious. I, I, I'm actually not sure. I think he just wanted to know if you were going to listen mm-hmm. to any of the spoiler stuff. The only the only thing that came up at all was we talked about some of the speculations you made, but it wasn't like let shit on Brian. Um, in fact, <laughs> everyone can attest to that without telling you what was in it. So. That's true.
1: Hey, one see, what one time was? I asked about, like, the well, how is this, the spoilers channel isn't that bad? And somebody was like, Yeah, maybe kind of is. <laughs> I'm like, okay.
0: Uh, I think it depends. Like, it, it's basically, uh, it comes and goes. But you know what? This isn't for any of that stuff. This is for here having a good time. So here we are. So let's start with some of, since we're so out of practice, that'd be kind of fun. And. I meant to mention this, too, when we were recording the episode of the Inyash. And it's like, all right, what are we doing next week? And I was like, oh, I literally haven't thought about that yet. And I just <laughs> pulled two numbers out. So I think it actually will work out fine for like the next few episodes, especially because we're getting back in the groove. And it gives That's us true. a few minutes to warm up the mics and get back in practice by just talking about some of the, the outtake episodes here or the whatever, the Omaki files. But they're yeah, like actually
1: they're kind of interesting. Yeah, and well, at least the the There were a couple I'm like, I have no idea what we were talking about, so I'm not even going to read this.
0: Yeah, same. Um, I, I miss, lose uh, some nerd points. I think I get about 50% of these. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I mean, so we can talk about how, whatever ones you want, however much you want. The one I, I was going to mention just two of them real quick, and one of them is a one-liner, and I just liked that it cited the uh. author because a lot of these, I think Eliezer wrote most of these, and then the ones that he didn't, he gave like attributions for, mm-hmm. and this one-liner "Moby Dick" and the methods of rationality, as related by Inyash on Less Wrong, and it's just a one line says, "Revenge," said the peg-legged man. On a whale? No, I just decided I'd get, or I decided I'd just get on with my life. <laughs> <laughs> I never read Moby Dick, but I imagine that would have been the sensible choice. Uh, Moby
1: Dick is like as the, as the apparently like snobby English lit expert in this dynamic duo of ours. Um, it's like. Otherwise read as the literate one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's like cited all the time. It's supposed to be, it's like the thing that gets referenced. Like in one other book is a allegory and you're like, oh, and it's actually Moby Dick underneath. Like one Flew Over the cuckoo's Nest has got like a whole Moby Dick thing behind it. So like, you know, any self-respecting lit snob is supposed to read it. And I've taken three runs at Moby Dick and I can't fucking get past like the third chapter. So it's just not working for me.
0: I had that problem with, like, a lot of classic literature where, like, things just happen in seemingly random order for seemingly no reason. And I don't, like... I, I think either I'm just dumb or it was taught poorly or I'm just used to a different style of literature where you're reading a story or a sequence of events but in a way that is supposed to be understandable just like real life is. Yeah. Like, reading the book um, The Great Gatsby... Like, random shit just happens. And it happens for no reason, comes out of nowhere, and means nothing. Casby's a like,
1: little, little light on plot. Anyway, well,
0: exactly. So. But it's like, this would make a terrible story. And it did. <laughs> and, like, the, what's that one? It might be... It's not Old Man in the Sea, because I get the feeling he's alone out there. I don't know. I mean, like, all the ones to, like, are like, there's, the there's like, this one with a boat and, like an, al- like, an albatross, which is that big bird. And, like, some guy just shoots it. And it's, like, that's the end of the chapter. It's supposed to be, like, dramatic, I'm guessing. But it d- doesn't say why. It just does. Sense. And it's like, I don't... It, so, I don't know. For me, a lo- and this is just, again, me showing just how bad of a uh, reader apparently I am. But, like, a lot of classic literature to me is just, like, random shit happening for no fucking reason that all the meaning has to be gleaned from the person reading it. it, it, yeah. it it's like there's there's nothing... There's there's no actual meat to it. All right, rant yeah, it over. You weird?
1: It was weird um, the, when I got my degree, and I was a english major in college like 25 years ago it's the extent of my snob cred on this but uh, what they did teach us his uh and i was surprised the novel which seems like the very basic concept of like writing a story is and like robinson crusoe was the first novel and it was i want to say it's like 1700s um and like so like so the idea of tell a story and write down the things that happened and write down everything that all the characters in the story said was is a like Three to four hundred year old idea, um, which just seems weird to me. So I think like a lot of like when stuff just reads wonky and lame because well they just weren't very good at it yet, and have a lot of a lot of time to practice.
0: I think that's fair, and it's interesting. Like, I mean, I can dig. You know, I, I've read some of Plato's dialogues, and like the writing is dry, but it's also kind of engaging. But it, it, it's not—it's not telling a story. It, well, I mean, it yeah. sort of is. It's—it's it's telling you philosophy through like the context of a of a story in dialogue form. Mm-hmm. And I and I can enjoy those. I can enjoy, um, you know, like I think I read uh, part of the Canterbury Tales and, or whatever the abridged version of that. And yeah. that was that was just sort of like kind of a cool idea. Um, you know, so like it's not all garbage. But I'm co- I'm convinced that most of the shit they made me read in like my classic lit class in high school sucked. Like objectively was terrible. Especially like, I feel those. like I'm being trolled by, like, those like those art <laughs> snobs. Who, like, a lot of it is so much
1: just, like, it's not even that they can make a good argument that it's, like, good stuff. It's just, like, okay, that was the first time anybody did that, so now you have to, like, read it. Like, tons of people have done it better since then, but this was the first guy to do it. Yeah,
0: I guess. But, I mean, that's like watching, uh, I can't think of a good an- analogy, but, I mean, watching, like, the first professional basketball game sounds really, really boring <laughs> compared to watching, like, the World Series in 2019 or something, right?
1: The World Series of Basketball. That shows oh, yeah. how
0: in tune I am with it, but you get what I'm saying. I'd rather watch like the best of the best do it now than watch like the first people who barely knew how to dribble play a game.
1: Yeah, so I'm not really into like old comedy, like Keystone Cops and Three Stooges. just not funny. We've we've gotten funnier since then.
0: We have. Yes, things have gotten actually better. Um,
1: so yeah, how the hell do we get off on this? I mean, we, I think we have to be kind of tangent-heavy this time anyway, because...
0: We gotta we gotta fill the air. Fill the I was air. talking about we we're talking about Moby Dick, and how mm. that book sucks. Now Enoch's oh, yes. version is way better,
1: <laughs> <laughs> more Succinct. succinct. Yeah, and so it has a so plot which, that makes like, sense. Which ones did I? So there was a pretty short. There was the Chronicles of Narnia one was pretty short. The it starts out with the Lord of the Rings one, which I think was the longest of the ones in there.
0: I think so. Um, I think that takes up like half the chapter. The one, yeah,
1: there's a really short little Hamlet bit. I think I actually skipped over the uh, the Aladdin one.
0: Oh, the and Aladdin was one like, is just, like, three and paragraphs.
1: Like, oh, no, then maybe I must I must have read it then. Um, and then there was some, like, random, like, oh, I do not know enough about anime to have any idea what the hell we're talking about here.
0: Same. Um, there was one here. Let me find it. It was the, um, yeah, the Tengen Topa Gurin Rationality 40K. And the, it's a one-sentence thing saying, I have a truly marvelous story for this crossover it which this margin is too narrow to contain. I know that to be a reference to, like, some mathematician apparently scribbled that in one of his notebooks. It's like I have a pr- I have a proof of this theorem, but this margin's too narrow to contain it. And I think the historical consensus is that he was just saying that so someone find it and think he was smart. Because <laughs> no because that's still an unsolved theorem as far as I know, but without me being able to remember which theorem it was, then I I can't look it up.
1: Yeah, he was just really high and thought he solve it and couldn't, couldn't <laughs> remember it when he came down.
0: <laughs> so the derivative of a duck. Shit. <laughs> All, right. All
1: right.
0: We don't have to summarize the whole thing, but I, I like The Lord of the Rationality because it's just like a very serious take on it. And yeah, it I like It's a fairly yeah. serious book. Of oh, the, the,
1: oh, the ones in there, yeah. I thought it was like the most well done, but then looking back on it, I'm like, I didn't have a lot to say about it. Like, I thought it was really well done, but I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, good. I like, I did like uh, like the sort of dramatic ending with, well, I guess we should tell people. So it's like basically Frodo saying, why the fuck are we taking the ring to Sauron? Like marching into Mordor seems like a bad idea. And he's basically so doing the like rationalist, like, would you guys fucking think about what you're doing? Uh, but then it like ends with like, the, he's like tempted into like oh if i put on the ring that part like i wasn't it didn't quite compile for me in terms of like why that would make sense but he's like oh if i put on the ring one last time the ring will let me know what the right thing to do is but then i'll be taken over by the madness of the ring and then like the dramatic ending where bilbo does it you know for everybody and then it just kind of like ends like semi yeah it was really well done i think um and like the one, the one little thing I put in the notes about it is I think like Yukowski does a good job of like capturing the tone of other ways of writing. Cause it's very much, like it, it sounded like Lord of the Rings in a way that like, you know, Harry Potter does not at all sound like the Lord of the Rings one. So
0: and Harry Potter doesn't nice. have as much
1: of a, like a, like a voice to it or not, you know, it's, it's not known for like the style of writing other than the overuse of adverbs.
0: But, <laughs> except when Gandalf, except going to say except when Gandalf is talking, but except when Dumbledore is Dumbledore. talking. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the like the the conceit of this little short version is that like wearing the ring does more than make you invisible. at all like in the black sight, I think also like makes you mm-hmm. really smart or something. And so basically, to Frodo, it was like, no, no, this is obviously like a ruse. You know that that you know taking the ring to Mordor. Is the the optimal strategy? He just thinks that we, that's what you'd all come up with, and Gandalf's like, "Oh no, he, there's no way he would think that we would seek to destroy it." It's like, but dude, he would. You guys are all <laughs> just would. being dumb, and he's trying to think of a way to convince them. Um, it was, yeah, it was fun. There's, yeah, I and mean, I like, and I like that was
1: sort of like cut off with like Bilbo just sort of like taking the taking the ring instead. Like we think Frodo's about to do it, and Bilbo does it instead, and then it just sort of like cuts right there. That's a good way. He's really good at that kind of like dramatic kind of like serial fiction way of like, you know, knowing a good way to start a scene and a good way to kind of chop it off. Which you don't really do, like in books, you don't really do that. Like in a quote regular book that's, you know, start to finish.
0: Yeah, I guess when you're doing a snippet, you can do whatever you want. But you're right, there is like, there must be some some skill to that, being able to open randomly and close, well, not randomly, but open At a point and at a point, that keeps people engaged, you know, from end
1: to end. Yeah, I think it's probably something like we all get kind of pop culture trained in, like, is reading that doesn't uh, happen except like this. Um, but like, that's kind of a style of telling a story that we're all super familiar with because of television, where you're going to get everything in like digestible thirty or sixty minute chunks. So yeah, good point. Yeah.
0: I didn't read the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, so I have no idea what this one was trying to. do. I only read,
1: I read, read like the first one. I did, yeah, and actually, I remember when I first read them, I had no idea that there was any kind of like weird religious, you know, subtext to the whole thing. It was just what I was like, kids wandering around. Uh, I think I read like the first two or something. I don't remember. But
0: even I know that the Lion was Jesus, and that uh, yeah, C.S. Like, Lewis was like the famous religious apologist.
1: Yeah, that, from... that went like completely over my head when I read it, but I was like well when i read it i think but i like, the, oh, yeah. like there was a couple of, like and this was i think the first one where i like had i'm like it actually made me think about um harry potter so that the quote i pulled was i think maybe the land of narnia was trying to tell you said susan or maybe it was just your own dreams trying to tell you that if there really was such a person as that lion there'd be no use for us um which is also kind of a uh, a watchman message of like stop like waiting around for heroes because the conversation leading up to that is them saying like oh, okay we're going to go in and lead this battle and we like hopefully uh, Aslan will show up and the idea was like well if Aslan shows up like we don't need to do fuck all he'll just show up and take care of everything um, but it did so it made me think that that's kind of, so that, I, that attitude of you know if we're just going to wait for like some kind of deus ex machina then what the fuck is the point of like why are any of us here um, and that that's sort of what like that's the mistake Harry is making is like Harry thinks it's all up to him or that we all have to like sit around like one person has to fix this problem. You know, either the Dark Lord or Harry is some kind of gray Lord. It's a weird word. But um, but yeah, we're like, oh, one, like if just one person knows the right, right thing to do and we give them enough power in order to do it, then that'll fix everything.
0: Hmm. Um,
1: which is sort of like the, I think, I think that's like one of the big ideas we're playing around with in HPMOR, but.
0: Um, no, I like what you're saying. Yeah. I like the connection there, too. Um, yeah, yeah like, I wait, was waiting of, for yeah, and I, yeah,
1: and I thought it was sort of interesting because I think at least well, as actually now that I having verbalized that, I think that kind of is a little con, somewhat consistent with what's going on with Harry. But I think on my first read of this, I, I it came across as almost the opposite because Harry is struggling with that idea of like oh, he needs to be the Boy Who Lived and you know the great conquer and you know defeat Voldemort and lead the world into the age of enlightenment. Um, and I guess, like, surface level of thinking about that, that's, like, still an idea in Harry's head that he's still, like, tossing around as, like, a plausible way to engage the universe. Um, when this, this quote, you know, redoing Narnia is kind of, like, showing, like, okay, that doesn't work. Um, but, I like, on my first read, I was like, oh, this is actually saying the opposite of what Harry's saying. But now walking that through, I think that is a... a that is a plot line or not so much a plot line that is a thematic arc that we are still in the middle of of harry figuring out that like he can't be the savior of humanity even though he's the main character in a harry potter novel
0: <laughs> what's funny is that in his head he's also the main character of a harry potter novel mm-hmm. right he's not, not 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 quite in a fourth wall way but in a way of like i'm centrally important yeah i think i mentioned this before but there's that douglas adams uh quote where it's like it's one thing to believe you're the center of the universe. It's another thing entirely to have this confirmed by ancient prophecy. (laughs) And so, you know, as, as an 11 year old, you know, on his first day at Diagon Alley, he's already kind of, you know, full of himself. And then he learns that there's a prophecy where he has to take down the, the immortal dark wizard. And he's like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it's me. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, and I never saw my little pony. Uh, so I, I didn't really get this, this short one, but I did, uh, read, I'm trying to remember what it was called. I think it was called "Friendship Is Optimal," but I remember there were like two versions of it. And... My impression of like
1: of that thing was that it wasn't even like that. The whole My Little Pony fan fiction thing has taken on so much of a life of its own that, like, it's not even that you have to have seen or read. Is there anything to read about My Little Pony? I have no idea, but like, that's not even the universe that's being copied anymore. It's become its own thing. That makes sense. It's like double double meta.
0: Yeah, the the My Little Pony fiction that I read doesn't i think require any requisite my little pony knowledge it's like i think like i said it's called friendship is optimal and i can't remember the two versions like the subversions that i read they're from different like points of view but they're like the same event basically um someone makes like a team makes a super artificial intelligence that uh is like lives in this My Little Pony video game that then they start selling to people on purpose. And you can play You can play the game. It's very captivating because it's run by an AI who understands humans better than anyone. And you can pay uh, to, like, sit in these chairs and, like, do the immersive experience um, where, like, it basically plugs you into the Matrix. Or you can, quote, emigrate to Equestria, I think is the planet Equestria. that they're from or something. And... If you emigrate, it's destructive process for your brain, but it's free, and you can stay there forever. And it it basically everyone just gets con, get, everyone gets convinced to like start just migrating in, en masse to Equestria. And it's one of those it's things. It's a that like,
1: cookbook. It's what? It's that's the Twilight Zone. They, uh the aliens show up and they're taking everybody to Shangri La, and everybody's getting on the spaceships, and then somebody figures out that really they're just being taken for food. <laughs> so that's like the ending scene of some guy like trying to get this, as people are walking out of the spaceship with the aliens. Some guys like because they go like, oh, yeah, the title of the book is to serve man. And because, oh, that's it, hilarious. Because it's, a cookbook, so it's a pun. I, the, the ponies are trying to get people to go to Equestria because they are just going to grind them up into horse food.
0: I think in this one, it was, it was the, the A.I.'s terminal value was to maximize human well-being through friendship and ponies. And. It, it, so it doesn't have like an ulterior motive other than to be, you know, to do whatever it takes to make people happy through friendship and ponies. It's, it's kind of like exactly what I'd imagine how things would go if someone built an AI actually like that. So in that sense, it's actually <laughs> really engaging. But if anyone's curious, Google, uh, what did I say it was called? Um, uh, crap. Friendship, friendship is Optimal. Is optimal. Yeah. And then the next one was a Naruto fanfic, and I've never seen Naruto. I watched the first episode, and the guy seemed like the little kid was, like, I don't know, demigod-tier powerful. And it's was like, all right, well, it's, you know, starting with a hero that could beat up, you know, the Avengers all by himself doesn't seem like that much fun. So um, I'm sure it's great. But the other thing with starting an anime like that is, like, do I really have 250 episodes of bandwidth in me to absorb exactly. this show? So um, this one, I don't know what the reference is. Erdos in Chains.
1: I think I had to go, I think that's, I can't remember that. That was a fantasy series. I had to Google it too, so I, it wasn't anything I'd read.
0: Right on. Uh, then we've got Thundercats and He-Man
1: <laughs> and... Even the Thundercats then, one was over my head. I'm like, I don't know who these people are.
0: I never oh, saw that show either.
1: And that's like my age too. Thundercats was when I was a kid. So.
0: Eh, it's been a while though. That's one of those. That was one of the great old days when they just made TV shows to sell toys. <laughs> <laughs> There's a funny one where apparently someone's named Kvothe, uh, or K-V-O-T-H-E, and he's sorted into Ravenclaw, and then the kid's like, oh, Quoth the Raven. and Oh, that, that's
1: a quote the, I. that completely went over my head. Quoth the yeah. Raven. I thought it was, yeah, because it was like Kvothe, I'm like, what is, so I'm like, oh, is there like some story with this guy, and he's a raven, and I lost him. I'm
0: sure that's from something, and I can't remember. Oh, but, but was he that, saying, like,
1: Kvothe the Raven, like, Kvothe the Raven, Nevermore? Was that what that was? Something like that,
0: or maybe uh, I, it's on the tip of my brain. I can't remember. Maybe it was the name of the Raven in Dark Tower, but I don't think it was. But somewhere, I've had this recently explained to me something else about a Raven like this, and that might have been it. Might not have been. So
1: there's a listener yelling at the yelling at us right now as they're listening to us.
0: Yeah, someone else I can't believe I you don't, don't. know that.
1: Uh, uh, Sorry.
0: Well, that's hmm. that's going to be the the downside of having people who you know <laughs> frankly if you're listening to a podcast about a fan fiction then there's a good chance you know plenty of nerdy shit that i don't know so Y'all. i'm plenty nerdy but but i only have so much nerd bandwidth
1: we all have right. our like areas of expertise and nerdy
0: yeah so. the key is to get really good at like one thing so this is weird me so, yeah, is like
1: like when i'm hanging out with civilians i'm very clearly the nerdy people but then i like you know when i go to a book club or whatever, when, I, when i when i hang out with the like the actual nerds i'm like oh i'm so faking this <laughs> I don't know what I think, I'm doing. I'm I'm a terrible nerd.
0: I think that if you don't have that some some version of that experience in your life, then you're you yeah. need to hang out with more groups of people cuz I have that same thing with different areas <laughs> of my life where it's like, "Oh yeah, I feel like, you know, like I'm good at this or I know a lot about this." And then you hang out with people who like really know their shit, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Oh, yeah, I I know nothing." It's kind I of like being I'm like big. being like a yellow belt and be like, "Oh yeah, I could beat up all these random people." And then you're like hanging out with some actual martial artists yeah. it's like, "Oh yeah, I fucking suck." <laughs> I think that that's a, an experience that's very mm-hmm. transferable. There's also... And I he- I've heard of this. I haven't read it, but I've had the tab open on my phone for like a year. Um, there's a Twilight fanfic by uh, Alicorn. Um, and she... I think it's... Uh, I forget when she started writing it. It would have been mid-2000-something. 2010s, maybe. Um, but it's a like a full book-length, kind of like Harry Potter version of uh, Rationalist um, Twilight. And so apparently... Uh, the author had heard that someone was working on this and uh <laughs> uh but he hadn't read it yet so it's like bella or wait yeah isabella they call her but i think her name is bella yeah, in the show blah. in any case she, she's like trying to argue with edward the cedric diggory vampire about like <laughs> that, that was the whole thing about that series like those vampires they don't they don't uh they, they can go out in the sun they don't age. They don't die. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got it pretty fucking good. It's not like, you know, an ordinary vampire curse where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of like this bloodthirsty monster all the time. Like, they barely have that problem. And, and so nice. she's like, yeah, they're nice. And so she's like arguing with him about like, oh, no, don't you realize this is actually a really good thing? And uh, so it ends with the gun to the gun in his lover's hand uh, was cold against his forehead. It wouldn't kill him, but it disable him long enough. And so I'm assuming she's going to shoot him in the face. And while he's knocked out, I guess, have, you know, use his, his mouth to bite her hand yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you got to do.
1: I hope that works. Yeah.
0: And then I really like the Jasmine and the lamp. So it's uh, it's opens with Aladdin getting ready to make his uh, third and final wish and set the genie free. And then Jasmine, who had been staring at this with her mouth open, not quite believing what she was seeing, just barely managed to overcome her paralysis and yank the lamp out of the boy's hands before he could finish the fatal sentence. Excuse me, said Jasmine. Aladdin, my darling, you're cute, but you're an idiot. Do you know that? Did you not notice how once Jafar got his hands on the lamp, he got his own three wishes? Oh, never mind. Jeannie, I wish for everyone to always be young and healthy. I wish no one ever had to die if they didn't want to. And I wish for everyone's intelligence to gradually increase at the rate of one IQ point per year. Then she tosses the lamp back to Aladdin. Go back to what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to capitalize on that wish, wish fulfillment, you know? That's right.
1: Is that one wish? or uh... I think that was three. Bring plot lawyers. Oh, okay, there you go.
0: I don't think. I, I think if you get to include ands in a wish, I think the I think yeah. the genie lawyers would definitely say no, I'm calling lawyers. bullshit.
1: I think it's a genie council. That genie, reminds me. It's of a genie this, board.
0: This really long genie joke. It'd take me like a minute and a half to tell, and it's it has the best like anti-humor punchline ever. But it it's a very great joke, but it's way too it's too long to fit in the narrow margins of this page. So I'll just. Have <laughs> to, drop that i Uh, I I mean we've
1: only got like two and a half hours left so
0: yeah we gotta we gotta keep (laughs) going so you pulled out the hamlet one hamlet
1: one this is the part you can all just tune out now you're gonna be bored like this is very not nerdy at all this is like shakespeare nerd but i thought it was cool because it did remind me of the actual book so i'll read the quote although my riff is gonna have too much to do with uh where he went with it but but so so hamlet's um talking with his the ghost of his dead father which in like the original is like that's like the ghost of his dead father that that's how he finds out that it's his uncle that killed him and then he's gonna go get vengeance on them blah 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 um but so in this one that's not how it's gonna go um so i think i I get like the lead up is like the ghost says like oh you don't want me to go to hell you don't want to go to heaven i can't remember or yeah you're not worried about going to hell so hamlet says i seek to deny hell to everyone and heaven too for I suspect the heaven of our mad God might be a paltry thing next to the heaven. I will make of earth when I am its immortal king. Run. <laughs> um, and what it made me think, I was sort of like, okay, yeah, that's the whatever. Um, but it made me thinking about Hamlet and what that is like in relation to like the ideas in H.P.M.O.R. that like Hamlet is sort of kind of in that he was basically suicidal um, is a deathist. Uh, but, and then it sort of made me think about like that like the that other way of looking at whatever that idea of deathist is because i hadn't really thought of it in that term in those terms that cuz like the like sort of the main thing of hamlet is he's kind of like bummed about life and isn't really sure that it's worth or actually he's pretty darn sure it's not worth going on um so it's like a guy just like trying to you know come up with the with the necessary number of fucks to carry on with his life um and and so, so a lot of it is about, like, like a person with, like, a sincere to, a sincere desire to to no longer be, to be or not to be, to, to choose the not to be version of that. Um, and I thought that was interesting because, like, a lot of, like, our back and forth about the whole deathism thing is people talking about, like, oh, the nobility of death and blah, 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 and it's a natural part of yada, yada, yada. Um, but like with Hamlet, like that's like, that's deathism in the sense of like, he's wanting death in the sense that sort of everybody would agree with death. Like he wants everything to be over cause it's terrible. Um, and the whole to be or not to be speech, which is weird cause I, and I paste, I paste the whole thing in there. I'll read a little bit of it, but, um, as then I was like Googling around, I found a, uh, because Kenneth Bronick, uh did a version of Hamlet. And so I'm like, oh, let me see what his to be or not to be speech. It's fucking terrible. It looks cool. But the weird thing, because we've all heard those words so many times, it just turns into noise. Like, well, to be or not to be, there's a question. There's just no in the mind, blah, blah, blah. You're, like, not listening to it. It's like if you repeated the same word over and over again, it stops meaning anything. Um, so you can still get it a little bit if you, like, read it. But hearing it out loud, at least for me, um, like, hearing it out loud, I can't hear it. It just sounds like noise.
0: I can confirm um, that is my experience as well, and I've never uh, read Hamlet or any of these things. Yeah. And also, you mentioned that whoever that guy, that actor, that you said read it, uh, or it has that rendition. Um, I know uh, that's uh, men- it's uh, Guildarlock. That you yeah, yeah, exactly. Kenneth
1: Kenneth Bronick. Um, yeah, and then there's a bunch of other like famous Shakespeare actors that are in other parts of that. Um, I think it's his, the guy that plays his father previously played Hamlet back in the 70s. anyway Anyway. Um, yeah, I thought it was funny. I was like, yeah, because I think it was made in like the early 90s. Um, so it's like younger Kenneth Bronick being him. Like, he looks all dope. He's got like his little uh, um, goatee. He's dressed and, like a noble. Yeah. And his, yeah. his Draco Malfoy haircut. But yeah, he looks pretty cool. But it's lame. like, he's just sort of like, and also at least to the extent that I tried to listen to it, be like, okay, how, like what's the tone he's trying to convey with his speech? I'm like, this is not right. Like, this is not the way that play goes, because I know Shakespeare better than Kenneth Bronick, says Brian. Um, but anyway, so, but what it made me think about, um, like, I think that's sort of a way we haven't thought about this deathism idea is that, I mean, I think in the, the, the part of the ideas about death in here that I'm totally on board with is I think in terms of thinking about it as basically science that like, that's one of the ultimate goals of science is to, you know, defeat death or just that like science is going to be the path to get there, and like defeating death is just sort of like a natural consequence of carrying on with science. Um, and then, and so, and then the alternate to that um, that we're mostly hearing about is people with that kind of Dumbledore-ish attitude towards it, which is kind of like, you know, defeat. Yeah, I guess defeat is more just kind of like, oh, this is natural, and we're just all going to do it, and why bother thinking about alternatives? Um, and that's sort of like, at least when we've been talking about it, or how I've been what I've been reading about it. Like, that's kind of the only way it was looked at it. And then reading this about Hamlet, which isn't really where he was going with this. Well, no, I guess he was saying, like, oh, nobody's going to go to heaven or hell anymore because we're going to make the world wonderful, um, which is very much like the Harry Potter version of that idea. But that the original Hamlet was this... Uh, nihilist is kind of too... Not the right word because it kind of has a connotation of, like adversarialness to it like hamlet is fundamentally hopeless um in a way that and that is sort of his embrace of death uh not in any sort of like thought out like philosophical whatever it's he's like thoroughly bummed out and i and i think maybe when, like when hamlet turns into a word salad for people and they kind of like skip over it the part that i think people miss a lot and uh, this is the only part that i subject anybody else to but um, to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them, to die, to sleep, no more, and, to say, and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to, to a consummation devoutly to be wished. Um, so Hamlet is saying, like, oh, dying would be awesome because I wouldn't have to put up with any of this shit anymore. Um, and the reason he doesn't is then, that's the I, to sleep, perchance to dream, I, there's the rub. Hamlet, the only reason Hamlet doesn't kill himself is because he's not sure that would be the end of him. Um, he like so much, doesn't want to exist anymore that he wants to die, but he's afraid there might be an afterlife. Um, and I thought that was just sort of like an interesting, like, that's this other, like, way more emo uh, view on the life death thing that would, like, hasn't been, like, part of how we've been talking about it. So it's just been this sort of more, like, pro versus con kind of thing, or, like, fatalistic versus idealistic but there's like this sort of other side which at least like feels like that's kind of an experience that people would be you know a lot more invested in is that not that it's like a good you know that's not like a life lesson to take away is that you know hopefully one day we can all reach the sweet release of oblivion but um, <laughs> but i thought it was interesting because like because he, he framed he you know he pulled it up and he, he sort of like tried to reframe he did reframe hamlet in terms of like this harry potter idea of life versus death but um, it made me realize that this other way, this other sort of idea around it, um, isn't—it hasn't been part of that set of ideas that Harry Potter's bringing up. So.
0: Well, that's awesome, and i, I gotta say, I, um, you know, I guess I was an English major, but all I did as far as my Shakespeare exposure was whatever they made me read in high school or junior high, yeah. and you know, I remember reading Romeo and Juliet at least once. It's so fucking just, worthless! I can't like, believe they
1: make people read that one. But yeah. Well, and so that, thats much my much thing nice. is,
0: you know. I'm told like, oh, this is like you know peak play, right, or whatever. And I, I read up like this is about two stupid kids, yeah, and they do bad. stupid shit, and then they both die. And like, it's like, I, I, so as a kid, that's as far as I could get with it, and I couldn't, you know. There's probably. And even just the, the passage that you read, I would never have drawn from that what you described. Maybe it's because I didn't read the rest of the stuff and I didn't quite get the full context. But you reminded me that years ago, I committed to uh, a friend of mine. David had said, dude, you gotta, you've got you got to actually like read Shakespeare like as an adult voluntarily. It's awesome. And I said I would and I haven't yet. And this reminded <laughs> me that I should do that. Because that <laughs> I, your your ability to pull out that cool stuff from those three or four lines is really cool. And I should I owe it to myself, I think, to and maybe to... You know the the, of the the literature community of the of the of the earth. I mean, like you know <laughs> of, of our of of the enterprise of writing. I mean, uh, to like see all right, what's all the fuss about? So well, I should I probably remember
1: check out a snarky quote about Shakespeare's, uh, The remarkable thing about Shakespeare is that he really is quite good, in spite of the number of people that say so. <laughs> that is a fantastic <laughs> quote. Who said that? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. That oh movie. that's this awesome those, like,
0: the only days. other thing i know about shakespeare is that at the end of almost all of his plays either everybody dies except for the one person or everybody gets so married and lives happily married. ever after mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and i'm well, guessing so, well, that I can is remember. probably the first one
1: yeah everybody dies um awesome. yeah i can't yeah well, and or everybody already was dead but um but yeah i can remember going like like to be or not to be is like the one thing like everybody has heard that one um, but that it's, like, there are words that you just don't even process. Like, you don't think about what the hell he's saying or what. It's just, like, famous noise that people make.
0: Yeah, um, until today, I had literally no yeah. idea what the fuck he was talking about. Yeah. He means to exist or not to, to exist. To exist or not
1: to exist, and then he wants, yeah, he wants to die, but he's afraid that dying won't be the end, which is, like, totally, like, super emo. It's awesome. But, yeah, well, then Jay- I'm showing, no. you
0: Shakespeare okay. wrote the OG emo. Yeah. For who would bear that's the awesome.
1: whips and scorns of time when he himself might his quietus make with a bare bodkin who would fardels bear burdens bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life but that the dread of something after death the undiscovered country that's another famous phrase undiscovered country from who's born no traveler returns puzzles the will yeah It's like who would put up with the shit if they knew they could just like end it all but they don't you know what? they're I, afraid.
0: This proves to me that I'll need to read it like with a translation because yeah, I remember
1: that like a three there was like like posing like on one page it had the original um, Shakespeare and then the other one it was like the, uh, the the American translated Bible version of the Shakespeare. But
0: I read a Bible like that like there yeah. was a it had the like the old, old the old school King James oh, on one and then the children's Bible on the right yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's hilarious reading through like the um, what are like the six hundred something rules you're supposed to follow if you're Following all the rules, uh, I, f- I forget what there's. I'm just blanking on the word. But if you're uh, if you're an observant, um, I think it's mainly the the observant uh, Jews that follow all the. Gosh, why am I blanking on the word? You would know it mm-hmm. if I said it. Doesn't matter. Like Exodus, De- Deuteronomy, all mm-hmm. the rules in those ones. Um, there's there's a name for what they're all a part uh-huh. of, and I'm blanking on it. Anyway, uh, reading those. In King James version, and then in like kids' speak, is really hilarious. <laughs> like, I have another like, fear
1: that like the King James version of the Bible is a lot of the reason why like people can like sound fake wise. Like it's why Yoda sounds wise because he speaks the way the James King James Bible is written. He like speaks in inverted English. That's hilarious. So, and then it's just, yeah, I mean like, like
0: there, one of the rules was like, "And thou shalt carry a paddle upon thy weapon, so that when thou shalt turn and ease thyself abroad." Thou shalt turn therewith, and bury that which cometh from thee. And then the kids' huh. version of that is, be sure to carry a shovel with, when you're at <laughs> war so you can turn and bury your poop. <laughs> and It's really funny. He's accurate. Accurate. So, so speaketh the Lord. So speaketh um, the Lord. Anyway. that anyway. When
1: I when I found that uh, video of Kenneth Bronick doing the to be or not to be, the, the next video that came up on YouTube was a... Uh, oh, yeah, because it was a... Uh, uh, David uh, David Tennant being interviewed by Stephen Colbert because he had done Hamlet, uh, and then they were talking about Shakespeare. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a uh, uh, Crouch, Crouch Junior talking about Hamlet after Gilderoy Lockhart did Hamlet. Wait,
0: Probably. David Tennant was also in Harry Potter.
1: Uh, yeah, in the movies he was uh, what's uh, Barty Crouch Barty Crouch Junior. Oh man, yeah. they just got like every famous British person in that movie, so didn't mm-hmm. they? He's, he's Scottish. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah, he does he does English though when he's Doctor Who, but.
0: Okay, yeah, I was going to say I've only ever seen it. Yeah, it's fine. You
1: didn't forget that. Like, when I saw him talking, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's got like a thick Scottish accent when he's not pretending to be British or (laughs) English.
0: That's awesome. All right. And I never read Alice in Wonderland, and I haven't seen the movie since I was young enough to learn that apparently, uh, people took, you know, adults took drugs and made movies about them. Drugs. Um, So I'm going to push past that one and just touch on the Matrix one because it's hilarious. That's cool. Uh, in fact, they did, this is in the audiobook too. Inyash does Neo and, and, uh, Drake, who does Dumbledore, does Morpheus, and you know his Dumbledorey voice. Drake be good Dumbledore, I mean good Morpheus. Yeah, and it's like he's it's, it's Morpheus explaining to Neo like, oh yes, well this I didn't believe it at first either, but then I saw the fields with my own eyes, watched them liquefy the dead so they could be fed intravenously to the living, and then Neo is just like, I'm sorry, excuse me, and you know I kept it quiet as long as I could, but I need to speak up right now. Like the human body is the most inefficient source of energy you could possibly imagine. The efficiency of a power plant at converting thermal energy into, into electricity decreases as you run the turbines at lower temperatures. If you had any sort of, if, if any sort of foods the humans could eat, it would be more efficient to boot, burn that food in a furnace than it would be to feed to humans and try and harvest their BTUs. And now you're telling me that they, they fed the bodies of the dead to the living? Haven't you heard of the laws of thermodynamics? Morpheus, where did you hear about the laws of thermodynamics, Neo? Anyone who's made it past one science class in high school ought to know about the laws of thermodynamics where did you go to high school, Neo? And there's a pause. <laughs> in the matrix. Morpheus. Dun, dun, dun. The machines tell elegant lies. Neo. Can I please have a real physics textbook? Morpheus. <laughs> there's no such thing, as no The universe physics. doesn't run on math.
1: <laughs> That's one of those, like, you know, if you've taken hallucinogens in your life, <laughs> you could sort of like imagine a universe that runs on entirely different rules. Um, yeah.
0: I suppose one and one is not I, two. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that would look like, but you know, it's kind of like it doesn't. It, yeah, it, well, the, yeah, it doesn't. Doesn't look, looks like a dream, maybe, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I All thought that was
1: cool. Yeah, because people like, like, if you're gonna take it far enough, like, okay, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But none of this makes sense. So, <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that idea right, that was like the that was my, like, the first, you know, couple months we were doing this. That was my main theory of this was that it was like. Matrix, except I was thinking it was more like a J.K. Rowling, insane god of the universe. So not not like a computer, robot robotic thing, but you know, you are that the, would be really you, are funny. The, you are the twisted nightmare of J.K. Rowling,
0: Rolling. and that would explain all the, like those bizarre Rowling quotes for like the first thirty chapters. Yeah, that's, that
1: was the part that yeah, you're actually you're, you know you're in the deranged mind of Rowling.
0: Yeah, you know I actually She's saw a like thing on Reddit god. in the last week or two that finally explained like because I, I wasn't looking for an explanation for that i thought it was just the author having fun but apparently that is done as like a very common thing in harry potter fan fiction where you put some absurd rowling thing at the top just to make it 100 clear that rowling isn't writing this and that uh, you're not trying to like steal her work
1: and that's like and so so, oh yeah you know i didn't put that together he stopped when did he stop doing that in this book sometime in the 30s happening. yeah i kind of like those they were cool
0: yeah. kind of hard to come up with one you know two, maybe yeah. it would have just been hard to think of a hundred of them but yeah they were they were funny yeah. So that's what this reddit thread was was like someone saying hey help me think of a bunch more i think it'd be funny to just fill out the rest of the book so <laughs> so yeah we open with chapter 65 which doesn't have a oh, yeah. rowling quote at the top and this one's called contagious lies
1: contagious lies. that's when we were listening now that we're actually back, meanwhile back in our story um yeah, but we kind of need to we talk like about like, last time, gonna, like when
0: we last left our heroes flashback yeah, thing because it's been a while.
1: Yeah, and this actually not a lot happened in these two chapters, um, so which is why I was like totally fine with us going off on tangents with Yamaki. But um, yep,
0: see, this is all part of the plan, people. Yes, yeah,
1: so we're professionals. This may seem here.
0: like improv, but yeah, exactly. You know, this um, is the, we do. We do two rehearsals, then we do the third take on mm-hmm. on mics. So
1: <laughs> do the re- the read through.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> That'd be so hard. It's hard to
1: get this—you know—this chuckling and mumbling, you know, to sound authentic every time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really annoying writing out. All right, chuckle here. Talk huh, over Brian huh, here. Huh, yeah. No, yep. Brian, that
1: was too enunciated. I could, I could practically yep. understand that one. Try it again. <laughs> oh, that's better. Perfect.
0: Mumbles incoherently. All right, nailed it. So, chapter sixty-five. We get a Hermione POV. And I like this little thing, too, because basically it's just a little throwaway thing. But she's just describing, like, the practice of, like, mindful eating, which is it it sounds like way more esoteric than it is. And it it also sounds like way more obvious. But I find that most people don't do it, including myself, unless you're really dedicating yourself to. Mm -hmm. And, like, not just to pay attention to what you eat for the purposes of staying thin, but, like, to actually, like, feel each sensation consciously of consuming food. I found that since I've started doing that as like a practice that I can just flip on whenever I want, uh, I can tolerate basically eating anything, even stuff I hate, because I'm like, okay, well, ordinarily I'd spit this out, uh, but now I'm just I'm I can sit there and I'm experiencing something that I know will be over in a minute, and like while I'm here just having this raw weird experience, now I kind of get what this is like, and
1: uh, see if that trick still works on unagi. Is, not that, not uh, sure that is that is that sea urchin? Yes, yeah, urchin I'm so glad opinion. you mentioned that because that
0: is the that is the example I was going to bring up. Seriously,
1: and it worked. Uh,
0: well, it's no, I hated f- it, but, f- and I'll never worse. have unagi again. But it's I I I, I, I didn't dare. spit it out.
1: Unagi is like the I, haggis of Japan. It's the I don't know <laughs> what I went so it I went tastes Japan when it tastes and, like stale the stale fish flavor of Crisco, like it sticks to the I, roof of your mouth and it tastes like a you know a dead pier.
0: And it has the texture of just like the way I described so like we Tastes, we, we, got some, Crisco, we got some. The texture of Crisco stuck fresh. to the roof of your mouth. We got we got some brand fresh straight out of the urchin, straight out of the ocean at the Tsukichi fish market. And my friend got it. He bought the thing and he you know, we all took a little bite of it and it was the most horrible thing I've ever eaten, I think. Yeah. And like the I'm trying to describe to him. He's like, so what do you think? And I'm like, are you kidding? It tastes like if I found a fish that had been sitting on the sidewalk all day and just scooped mm-hmm. its brain out and wiped it on my tongue. Like, this is
1: awful. To it me, also, like sometimes the... like there's like a vibe of like diesel with it at the same time, too.
0: Yeah. I, it, I, feel, like any, I feel like it's just like a punking thing that you do to somebody. <laughs> I know. It's a dare. It's you a food like, oh, this a dare. A dare. This is a delicacy. And the
1: like, the like Crisco texture of it, too, means it like sticks to the inside of your mouth and you can't get it the fuck out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's anyway, really so that I said, really, you know, really I like I, sushi. But you're, if fact, you experience I, the, the sensations raw of just doing that, you're like, okay, well, this is weird. But you can kind of like just take yourself out of it like third person. So
1: that's like not torture. what Hermione's doing. But yeah. <laughs> like torture.
0: Like torture, yes. yes. Um, so <laughs> she's Horrible uh, things
1: like torture or unagi. Yeah,
0: yeah what's the difference? I think, I think unagi is your Japanese for torture, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well. Where were we? We almost finished the first sentence. That's right. <laughs> so um, Hermione, it, it opens with her and she's like serving herself breakfast. And so she's just trying to like, you know, put together a balanced meal. And uh, she's then failing at, at appreciating what she's eating because she's like distracted by our conversation with Harry. And it, it kind of picks up in the middle of their conversation. And she's like, can you explain that again? I'm kind of completely flabbergasted. And they're talking about like the significance of a phoenix and like why... For whatever reason, it's not perceived universally to be a sign of a good person. Yeah, and Hermione's still
1: like fixated on, like rightly so, about that everybody thinks on behalf of Harry, you know, bothered a lot that everybody thinks Harry is evil and also that everybody thinks she's becoming evil for hanging out with Harry. Um, So that's like her motivation for this conversation.
0: And I think just like her general sense of like goodness. Yeah. And she's like, how is everyone missing this? This is capital G good. And Harry's, it's it's kind of it's not even quite quirlish cynicism. It's just like no no. It's this is just how things work. He says that it's pretty straightforward if you think about it like a light side Slytherin, which I get the feeling is just a spin on it that he puts to make it more palatable <laughs> to Hermione. Um, he says every good thing in the world brings in, into existence its own it's it brings in its own opposition into existence. Phoenixes uh, are no exception. And she's like, "How can anyone not understand that Fox thinks you're a good enough person to ride around on your shoulder? He wouldn't just do that with a dark wizard, or he wouldn't do that with a dark wizard. He just wouldn't." Her, uh, her vehemency with like that sentence and the way that it's delivered in the audiobook reminds me of that line from uh, Legally Blonde, where it's mm. like, "Oh no, you're saying this fitness instructor killed her husband? No way! Uh, you know, working out makes you makes or fills you with endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people just don't kill their husbands. They just don't.
1: <laughs> they just don't." <laughs> My thing is that what that makes me think of is that only like Harry and her, you know, beyond Dumbledore aren't. I think Harry and Hermione are the only ones that had that like firsthand experience with Fox. Like they don't know what that's like, like because it's practically like a religious experience, and like the significance, it's and like the you know appropriate significance they put on it is something that nobody else would know. Like it's just like oh, so the phoenix likes you, okay. But for them, it's like like they get like viscerally what the importance and significance of that is.
0: Yeah, and it's trying to make me articulate like what I think phoenixes are in this version. Like they they were a cool magic bird in canon, and in this, like it's kind of just like goodness made manifest. Yeah, right. Well, I I I think I
1: I think the way it was the the wording that was going on when when the first when Harry's walking out of Dumbledore's office and Fox goes with him. Uh, there was I can't remember now exactly how, what the wording was but the, the choice of words when that was done uh, made me think that like the way Yudkowski is setting this up is that, the, that Fox is the opposite of a Dementor like Foxy is life and a Dementor is death um, and that's kind of like the that's the thematic slot that Fox takes up in this story is he's just kind of like a symbol like a raw symbol of raw life
0: now I'm trying to decide if I'm an idiot for not realizing that earlier, or if that's just what you get for bringing on, you know, a, a, a new set of eyes with a reading. Oh yeah, and that's and the I, story. Yeah, I remember that. That's I, that's awesome. Yeah. I think you're exactly right.
1: And, uh, yeah, and now that I'm saying that again, I remember uh, my impression when I saw that was that it was interesting to me that how he's being set up that way because usually phoenixes are used. I don't know. Usually, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about with usually, but um, that phoenixes are used as a symbol of how life and death are intertwined that they are both life and death um but that we see we don't see like fox is a thing that dies we see fox is a thing that is alive um which isn't like you know it's not like that's the invalid whatever but like this the the way to see fox in this story is fox is a thing that cannot die basically like fox will always come back because um, like the other kind of way to look at a phoenix is like it's something that cycles between life and death and i think that's like that's the you know rolling version of, of fox is the we get to see fox a lot like withering basically until he's like gone and then he comes back
0: and i think at least at one point in this in the canon version he tanks Nevada the um, Oh yeah, um
1: like in, i think i think that happens yeah i can't remember he tanks uh, from who to who I I,
0: I I think he blocks Dumbledore getting hit from a vada at some point. I can't remember when though. Mm. Maybe it was when Dumbledore is fighting Voldemort in the Department or in the the magical government headquarters, mm. whatever that's called.
1: The yeah, British I was about to one. And I think and Fox eventually just like fucks off and flies away. I think in the last book. Um, I
0: can't remember at all what he does. I think I think
1: yeah, like he's like heartbroken. I can't remember exactly what it was like heartbroken and just leaves like 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 the way he was written out of the story was okay. He's definitely not dead because that would suck, but he's gone now day i hmm. or maybe, like maybe thinking i'm making of, up the thing about i may be thinking of daenerys's dragons i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
0: let's see here uh okay yeah so he's harry goes on to give his whole like right after Voldemort down
1: king's landing I'm with yeah, yeah that rings a bell yeah.
0: yes. and then who was Jon snow in this analogy then
1: uh john snow is the uh, defense against the dark arts professor
0: Fair enough. <laughs> the secret good guy all along. <laughs> um, so Harry's Harry's trying to say like, okay, well look, uh, think of it this way. And he's trying he's trying to explain about like the and in fact, there's a less wrong post, I think with the same title called "Contagious Lies" that makes the same point that Harry's making. Um, that uh, like when you when you tell one lie, you've got to like keep building lies behind it to propagate it. And the example mm. he uses is the classic like you skip school and tell your teacher you were sick teacher tells you to bring a doctor's note so you forge one she says she's going to call the doctor and you have to fake a number to call to, for the doctor and to get a friend to pretend to, to be the doctor when she calls and then her is like you did what and he he looks that's up kind you of like smiling. Fall back and you go
1: fake news like, <laughs> that's the event yeah
0: well yeah that, that that uh that wasn't that that wouldn't have been as effective maybe in the early 90s right. when this I'll, was supposed I'll, to take place all paths
1: eventually lead to fake news that's right <laughs> it explains all things and
0: and fails to explain anything at the same time. It's perfect. <laughs> that's it's like anti epistemology.
1: That's, that's, like, that's practically Buddhist. It yeah, practically it sure. Explains nothing. <laughs> See, that's the kind of like shit Yoda would say. You'd be like, oh, it's deep, man." Explain There's it. a
0: word for that called deepities. I think deepities. Daniel Dennett coined the mm-hmm. word, and it's like, uh, uh, well, I was going to get into it. Google deepity, spelled D-E-E-P-I-T-Y, um, mm-hmm. and if that doesn't bring it up, then look up Dan Dennett with it. And he gives a fun example of what deepities are, and uh, a handful of examples. Um,
1: that's kind of similar to what I was talking about like weeks and weeks ago. We that uh, I think I call it like symmetrical language, but like anything that just sort of like makes your brain happy to hear it doesn't then kind of doesn't matter what the fuck you're saying. It just sounds important, you'll believe it. So.
0: Yeah, that's related. Like a, a deepity is a thing that like on is either profound if true or meaningless. Like yeah. when at, at like another reading, like love is just a word. And it's like, well, sure, it comes between, you know... Uh, Louse
1: and... love, Mango. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: in the dictionary. And it's four letters. It's right there. It's like, but but if love is just a word, then what's this feeling I have towards people I care about? And so it's like, it's it's just a thing that sounds like... Mm-hmm. Like, remember when uh the, in the chapter, Pretending to be Wise with Harry and Dumbledore, and Harry was just throwing deepities at yeah. Dumbledore? That's basically examples of that. Um, they keep getting off track. So... There is no track.
1: The track that can be followed is not the true track.
0: All roads lead to the <laughs> end. Because so, eventually
1: we're going to have to stop recording. So let's see. I we got have got like, uh, 150 gigs of free space. Well, I don't. I ain't, so. I ain't afraid of you motherfuckers.
0: Oh, that reminds me with the uh, the last episode. Um, we had like that cutoff in the middle. I don't oh, know yeah. if this was, if we said in the middle like, what happened. Uh, we were recording on Enosh's machine, because his, his is the one that we plug the mixer into where we have all the mics and stuff. When we're not recording remotely, that's the way that we did it. And his com- his machine ran out of space while we were recording. And luckily, he noticed almost immediately. But it was just as funny. Anyway, yeah. yeah, it was really funny. Um, anyway, so... I'm talking a lot. Lines Summarize propagate. Harry's whole thing or whatever you wanted to talk about. You also threw some stuff in the notes there, too.
1: Yeah, because you'd actually talked about, as we read this, It was you talked about this, uh, your idea about lying that's ba- to basically not. Um, and it makes everything a lot simpler if you don't worry about it. Uh, you don't have to keep your story straight. And where's the fun in that? Um, but, I mean, that's and I put in our notes. I asked, I asked you in our notes, like, is this where? I mean, because it's I very much respect it, and it obviously makes sense to any rational person. Um, but yeah, that's why I was curious uh, and why I asked, like, to what extent did this, uh, and because this is consistent with the whole book, really. Um, like, what, how much did this influence your, your outlook online? So tell yeah, me, no. Stephen.
0: No, that's a good question. Um, and like, you know, like I said, it's not, and I think you said, hopefully that came out with zero snark as intended. And I said, yeah, no snark perceived. I mean, I think that, you know, if you can draw wisdom from a work of fiction that you're enjoying, I think that's a totally legit way to get it. As it worked out, I can't remember which I read first, but I, I, I had been around like enough dishonesty in my life to where I just decided that that was like obviously the root cause of lots and lots of problems, and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So, what really solidified my my stance on this was uh, like to just be a steadfast like, nope, lying's wrong, and I'm gonna disagree with everyone who uh, tries to make exceptions for that. Um, I read a short book. I think a regular person could read it in 30 minutes took me like 45 or something um, by Sam Harris called lying. And it's, it's legit like a, like a not tall book and like, you know, just a few dozen pages long, but he makes like kind of the exact same case as Harry that, uh, but with other examples and other, you know, covering all the angles, but um, it was, uh, I can recommend that book to anybody. And I think it's like two or three bucks for the quick PDF online, if you want to pay for it. And it's, probably free if you google around for a you know sam harris lying pdf but if you find the uh paid version if you want to pay for it you totally can um,
1: or you can pirate it if you have no sense of irony at all
0: <laughs> so as long uh, the way i got that book actually was i think um must have been twitter or facebook or maybe it was an email to something somewhere sam harris told us, this before he had a podcast i think and so must have been an email form about, like, his new essay. Yeah, he had, a, he had like, a, a website before he had a podcast. And I think people who were, like, were signed up for email notices from the website got an email saying, hey, so Barnes Noble told me they'd put it, like, prominently in, like, those those islands that when you walk into the bookstore, um, that they would have it in, in all these locations. If you happen to live near Barnes Noble and want to take a picture to show me if it's there or not, that'd be awesome. And I'll send you, a, like, a little signed, uh, like, book plate that you can use to, you know, put into the, you know... Mm. A, the inside cover of a book or something. And the Barnes Noble I went to had a section that might have fit that book and might not have, but in any case, none were prominently displayed. So I text, I emailed him a picture, and then I got a little signed book plate for it. So yeah, um,
1: for, uh, for the absence of the book?
0: Yeah. Huh. He wanted, he just wanted people to, oh, yeah. to tell, tell him if it was there or not.
2: Interesting.
0: Anyway, so, yeah, basically it was me reading that book that finally solidified, like, all right, cool, I'm going to, like, not – deal with lying in my life, you know, with the rare exception, like I said, of, of an okay joke or a good-natured, uh, you know, th- there's such a thing as a victimless lying, and yeah. that th- those cases don't include, like, white lies, where you tell somebody, oh, no, your your book's really great, you should keep trying, you know, to work on that. It's like, if you, you're not helping your friend by lying to them about their skills, right? Um, yeah, and I think the other
1: one, and actually we run into a, another little instance of that, uh, I think, towards the end of this chapter, um, like... The technically true kind of lie is almost worse, uh, because you're lying to yourself about whether or not it counts, um, right? <laughs> or that like, oh, if you can if you can stick to it, you know, even more of it being technically true, that makes like it, you know, less bad. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of funny, and this does bring up more examples of like, and we'll we'll touch on it when we get there. But like the, it seems it seems like characters in this story like move mountains to. Have, avoid directly lying and like everyone sort of always assumes that everyone's being honest mm-hmm. but then it's like reading between the lines on their on their technically honest statements but it, it almost seems like lying would be a total superpower here right
1: <laughs> i know yeah well yeah because because nobody expects it. but you said you pinky promised that it wasn't true um, exactly yeah i think a lot of that like, plays at least it's sort of like like the vibe is consistent with the uh, my shorthand for it is i've been just calling it reddit but really it's just sort of like that online you know, internet mediated interaction of like, that is the, the ideal circumstances for the, um, actually environment. Um, and that's like, (laughs) and that's where you get the like, oh, it's technically true. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, at least for me, like enough, I thoroughly fail at this a lot. I am not a good person often, but like, but the underlying thing around like being truthful or lying is like, is there like a selfish maliciousness to it? And, like, if there isn't, then whether or not it's technically true is, you know, not as important. And if it's technically true, but there's, like, selfish mal- maliciousness underneath it, then it's a fucking lie for however, you know, for any measurement that counts. Uh,
0: right. Yeah, and I, the, I think from just, like, a storytelling perspective, too, if it worked out to be where, like, every other twist was like, oh, yeah, sure, I said that, but I was lying. Mm-hmm. Like, that wouldn't be fun. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm not, I, yeah. And that,
1: I mean, if you're just the kind of person like if that's sort of the reputation you establish with other people that like you, I am a person that will just baldly state things that are just completely not true, then then people just like know to expect that of you. Like, say, Trump, um, like the right. fact that he states something as a bald you know, fact does not at all indicate it has anything to do with reality. Um, and with like other people you might be more willing you'd be like oh, okay well maybe he's lying but he's only kind of like stretching the truth and it's got to be a little bit true um,
0: well yeah. and that's the thing too that, that's part of what Sam Harris's book gets into is like it really it dives into you know like any, any personal relationship you have where you learn that somebody like oh yeah they were totally dishonest about that that it makes you question literally everything else and so like how, yeah. how do you forge a relationship with somebody that you know at least on occasion is willing to misrepresent the world to you or misrepresent what you're asking them to you yeah. and so it, it like the i mean i think it's just like legit trust is a is a solid foundation that once shaken is really really hard to rebuild yeah if, at if possible not, at yeah. all yeah
1: and like the way i look at it in my life that i think is probably pretty typical is like the closer i am, am to something the more important somebody is to me in my life the less tolerance i have for lying to them um when it's like you know you're primary romantic relationship in those areas i'm like super neurotically honest i think that's like one of the telltales of like actual honesty is like is it really really uncomfortable and would you fucking really like to get out of it um and that's probably actual honesty (laughs) like (laughs) god damn it i wish i could lie to you about this well Um,
0: and you know there's also like you know cases where i don't know like there are certain relationships that don't allow that the the Perfect truth dynamic, yeah. you know, oh, like yeah. the employee-employer relationship. Well, yeah, there's making. that, totally.
1: I mean, yeah, I have lied my ass off, you know, with work-related things. I don't even feel like there's no cognitive dissonance there around it. Like, what have I said? That's not ethics class, um, my resume. So let me, let me record for posterity that my resume is often a glorious piece of fiction. Um, which well, is as long as, like, as work can speak for itself. <laughs> exactly. you know? Well, yeah, it's like a calculated lie. Like, how much can I exaggerate before you will figure out that I was lying? And it's like, like, game, like figure out, you know, how much do you bang on the pinball machine before it's going to hit tilt? Um, <laughs> and like, at least for, and like, in those situations, it doesn't, you know, it's it's sort of like the reciprocal level of honesty that the company would give me. And that's kind of like the kind of thing too, like if you're in a, like a small business or, you know, you start to, you know, have like a personal relationship with the, you know, with the people that are signing your paycheck, then suddenly like all of those tricks seem, you know, are not at all okay. Cause okay, this is a, you know, this is a person that would, you know, stick their neck out for me I'm going to do likewise but yeah not so much if it's like a publicly traded company
0: well and that's the thing is uh, that's not a dynamic where um, you're 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 like like a good faith exchange between two people who are who are trying to reach like a a level of truth with each other yeah. right it's it's politics and weirdness yes. but we're getting a little bit on it on the on too far aside there I forget I was I like, gonna wrap it up I had a way of bringing it home, and I kind of forgot what it was. So. Um, Should I mind trick it worked? It did. Anyway, swinging right back in. So actually, Fox. this is actually a great way to bring it home. Hermione says, what does that have to do with Fox? And, <laughs> um, so Harry's like, okay, look, the headmaster has a phoenix, right? And he's the chief warlock of the Wizengamot. So he's got political opponents like Lucius. Now, do you think the opposition is just going to roll over and surrender because Dumbledore has a phoenix and they don't? Do you think they'll admit that Fox is even evidence that Dumbledore is a good person? Of course not. They've got to invent something that makes Fox not important. Like, Phoenixes only follow people who charge straight at anyone they think is evil, so having a Phoenix just makes you an idiot or a dangerous fanatic. Or Phoenixes just follow people who are pure Gryffindor, so Gryffindor that they don't have the virtues of other houses. Or it just says how much courage a magical animal thinks you have and nothing else, and it would be fair to judge politicians based on that. But they have to say something to deny the Phoenix. I bet Lucius didn't have to make up anything new. I bet it all had been said before, centuries ago, when the first the first time someone had a phoenix riding on his shoulder, and someone else wanted people not to take that into account as evidence. I bet by the time that Fox came along, it was already common wisdom. It would have seemed strange to take into account that, uh, who had a phoenix or who a phoenix liked or disliked. And I like that because that's probably the case for a lot of stuff. And that's what I like about this. Like, yeah. it it it's a fictional example of things that probably work perfectly. And I I. I spent a little while yesterday, and then kind of forgot to keep that iron in the fire and have it actually do anything. But i was trying to think of like good examples of like you know pure goodness of like of actions or things that would work as the sort of signal in our world. Um,
1: like of maybe something a person could do that would be a
0: yeah, like like like, an, like a an un, undeniable good, but people already have excuses against. You know, like maybe donating to charity is one of them, and so. You know why do you donate to charity? Well, because I really care, and I want I want to help the people that this money is right. going to. Oh yeah, and the, then the catch all cynicism
1: on that is the uh, shit-tastic phrase virtue signaling. Right, like can, which which is do, which a, is a thing. That'll explain, but it's not necessarily all, like, a bad like, thing. Yeah. yeah, and no matter you know how sincere or you know benevolent anybody's behavior, somebody can just come along and call it virtue signaling, and, and exactly act, act like that just negates the significance of all of it.
0: Well so that's it's that's the it's the and there that I disagree with. Like, you know, if, if you say take the giving what you can pledge from Peter Singer's website slash book, uh, the life you can save, and in order to, you know, either feel good about it or to try and encourage your friends to do it, you post the receipt every year of you donating whatever, five or ten percent of your income to effective charities. Um You'll you'll probably get some Professor Quirrell or Lucia Style person who says, Oh, you're just posting this to feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. Or you're even just doing this to feel good about yourself. And like, yes, while it's true that donating makes me feel good, otherwise I wouldn't do it, I'm also driven more by the fact that like I'm helping people by donating money, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm technically virtue signaling by telling people about it, but the other like that doesn't negate the goodness of what I'm doing, and like virtue signaling in this case isn't like a pejorative. It's uh, it's because it's just literally it's a description yeah. of what's happening. You are yes, I'm technically signaling my virtue, but but in doing so, I'm trying to you know show you people an, an avenue you know the people seeing this mm-hmm. an avenue that you can also pursue to do this. Um, like I have a coworker who donated uh, and then sent, shared a link on our company Slack channel to. I actually, it was a Google doc spreadsheet of a bunch of charities regarding all the protests because the mm. United States is on fire right now. <laughs> and, uh, this is
1: fine.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this is fine. JPEG. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, it, it seems weird not to talk about it, but also just, I don't want, I, there's nothing I could say that wouldn't be said more coherently by everyone else, mm. but yeah, everything is shit right now. I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, the message is finally heard and we actually see some reform and I am trying to guard my optimism though, because when in doubt thing, you know, bet on things staying the same, but man, it would sure be cool if things change for the better as a result of this. And if you want to help, there are a bunch of charities you can donate to. So like, what was my coworker doing by sharing this Google Docs spreadsheet? Um, Like presumably trying to get her coworkers to donate. It could also be saying, Hey, look how good a person I am. You can just assume that I'm donating to these people, but like anyway, what I'm getting at is that is how Lucius would see donating to charity versus how mm-hmm. uh, what what it actually means. Like, if you actually donate to charity, you're actually doing good. It is undeniable, you know. Like if if uh, whatever the CEO of Twitter or you know Mark Zuckerberg want to donate a million dollars to some really cool charity, are they doing it as a PR stunt? Maybe, but are they doing good with that money? Hell yes, they are.
1: Yeah. Right. And, it like, and he, t- he ties us in uh, in a little bit, I think just in a few paragraphs later about like kind of explicitly calling it out for the sort of lazy kind of, and he uses the word cynicism, but a, like not just cynicism, a lazy kind of cynicism um, that, you know, it, 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 that it's, it, it's so easy to do. Um, and that, and specifically like, uh, not that he used that phrase in here, but that idea of virtue signaling, like the, the, mostly the reason it rubs me the wrong way is it's just so easy. Um, you can just say it anytime you want and like just dodge, like engaging what the person is actually saying. Um, and I, say and what, I you, the, ma- the magic words mm, virtue signaling, virtue signaling, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you yeah. know, I can say anything about you should, you ought to do this, you ought to do that, and I did this, and you can go, ah, you're just virtue signaling. Like there's almost nothing I can say that you can't respond. Ah, it's just virtue signaling. Um,
0: I have a big, I have like an alarm that I trains to go off in my head whenever anyone uses just the word just because. I I find that more often than not, there's a lot of like a lot of hidden assumptions couched mm-hmm. in that word, and it's like, what do you mean not just virtue just, signaling? Yeah. Like I'm I'm clearly doing more than that because I also actually donated to charity in this case, right? Mm-hmm. And so I uh, yeah that that's yeah. my take. I was just going to reiterate it again.
1: Yeah. And what what and the way um, Harry like says it later, and he's talking about quarrel because he, he does tie this back to like quarrels. Um, the rant Quirrell went off on in doubting Hermione's goodness. Basically, I can, pretty much was saying that she's virtue signaling, um, but without the without that phrase. But um, and so what he says is, uh, I think maybe that's what he's getting wrong: that he's cynical cynical about everything else, but not about cynicism itself. Um, and so I like that. Like that got tied in explicitly.
0: Yeah, same. And I you know, more just about, like, the the scene itself. It, it, there's this sort of, like, ominous vibe to it, because he... Not ominous, but it, it kind of... I don't know. I'll describe it, and then you can tell me if there's a word for it. He indicates, like, the empty spot where Quirrell is, or where Quirrell usually sits, but he's still in the hospital. And, like, it... I don't know. It kind of just reminds me, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, heavy shit's going down, and, you know, he's not here... I, I, I'm i doing a really poor job of articulating, but, like, something about that gesture...
1: Oh, and, the, like, pointing to where Quirrell would have been in the, uh, dining hall. Yeah. Oh, the head table. yeah. Yeah. The head
0: table. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's not like a, it's not a serious thing, but just like it kind of, maybe it's because we haven't sat down for two weeks and I'm not sure what the gap was like, you know, between what the releases of these chapters when they came out originally, but you know, with that and then the Omake chapter, it's like, it's kind of just like bringing us back up to speed about what's going on here. Um, yeah. so yeah. Um, you had a thing here about Dumbledore, uh, because of uh, oh Fox. yeah yeah um,
1: yeah so in the way and he here he goes on for this whole thing Harry going on about the significance of Fox he talks about quite a bit and this was for me what locked down I wasn't really uh, seriously considering the idea of Dumbledore as Voldemort but it was sort of like the only other one on the table um, and this and you know I bet there's still some weird kind of curveball around Dumbledore but. The the fact that, okay, here's evidence of, like, Fox is evidence that Dumbledore is good. Um, That in and of itself in the story wouldn't necessarily, you know, kind of lock it down. But the fact that Harry talks so much about, like, using that fact as, like, an example and explanation of this is how evidence works. And and then, you know, basically just talking about, like, a cognitive bias around that and that, like people are, like, Fox liking Dumbledore is a piece of evidence that people are ignoring. Um, The fact that in this story with the word rationality in the title, um, that because that serves such a sort of didactic um, role, that you could sort of count on that fact being true. Like, that's a, a sign that that thing is true. And so, like, so that was for me, like, okay, Dumbledore is definitely good. Like... You know, there could have been other things where, like, okay, here's a piece of evidence. But the fact that it's being called out and explained to us as a demonstration of how rationality works. Um, like, at least for me, I'm like, okay, maybe there's still a curveball around Dumbledore, but he's not Voldemort. He's a—Dumbledore's a good guy, and we have to sort of, like, then figure out, like, how, how so. Um, but that was a lot of words for the—not a complicated idea.
0: No, that's good. I just like to have you—whenever you, whenever you yeah. put anything that sounds like a— a thought or prediction. I like to make sure I call you out to elaborate on it. And I'm not sure if, it, if this will come through in the episode, but it is now weathering outside, and I'm not sure if the thunder and wind is audible. But I'm not going to trouble myself to edit it out of the whole episode. So, you know, if there's crazy loud booms, I'll grab those. But uh, the little rumbles will take me all day to cut out. So, um, enjoy the, the dulcet noises of a That's background nice. thunderstorm. Everybody
1: can. Th- this places us in our historical moment. There's riots in America and a thunderstorm in Denver.
0: Yes, I'm sure that's somehow significant. The the weather, I mean, the the the, the protests uh, obviously are right again. <laughs> um, anyway, so Harry gets up. When does, why does he get up and leave? It's just like,
1: uh, he's done. He had more treacle tart.
0: Oh yes, <laughs> which which I I like. Call I'm out. like
1: treacle is molasses, right? And I Googled, like yeah, treacle is molasses. That's fucking gross. I you know maybe people have differing opinions on molasses, but you're wrong. <laughs>
0: molasses um, <laughs> is the american uh unage yeah or, i guess
1: uh, yeah maybe could be
0: not unage that's not unagi. what was it uh what was the urchin
1: uh unagi oh i was right oh, yeah. with an i at the end
0: oh um, thank you yeah
1: yeah because what made it stick out like a treacle tarts like a, an actual thing that's uh that humans eat but because uh, he had like treacle soda which sounded maybe that exists but it sounded very pumpkin juice harry potter but as, like, when I read that, and it's just, like, as treacle, the word treacle sounds, like, all exotic whenever, but, like, molasses soda would be fucking gross. <laughs> um, I, uh, maybe there's just enough sugar in it I to treacle. and t- that's t- just,
0: like, the binding agent. Yeah,
1: oh. uh, treacle's such a, a British-y sounding, or treacle and porridge, or they're, they're such Harry Potter words that you got to use them, but I think we just all need to, like, reality check for a moment that a treacle tart would be fucking gross. Yeah,
0: Harry is Voldemort incarnate confirmed.
1: It is the Great British Baking Show version of Haggis. Haggis. Well, the, the real the, yes. the real Voldemort the real. was the tree. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now we got that established because it's just, you know, important things. Yep. So, uh, what, I think it's, yeah, I don't think there really is a sort of like, okay, now we're done. It's just like, okay, that's the end of that scene. We're all done eating. So let's move on.
0: Yeah. He just gets up and leaves. Yeah. And then there's this little exchange where Padma looks over at Anthony or Anthony. Uh, Anthony and Padma look over, who were certainly not eavesdropping or anything, but eating nearby. And Padma says, is it just me or has Harry Potter started talking like a more complicated sort of book in the last few days? I mean, I've been listening to him very long. And Anthony says, it's not just you. And I like that. Um, well, then Hermione has this, this nice kind of, it's,
1: it's, an, it's she an internal thing. Daintily dabbed it, she daintily dabbed a chocolate-flavored scone with some scone-flavored frosting.
0: Okay, that yeah. Nice. So, as long as we're calling out the food. What the fuck is scone flavored frosting? Oh, yeah, I think Don't that's, tell me it tastes like scone.
1: This is that I my read of that was that was magic y Like that was a Hogwarts thing. Only in Hogwarts can you have a scone that tastes like frosting and the uh oh, no, the frosting tastes like a scone and the scone tastes like the frosting. That was my idea. Okay. It was like All right, a magic Willy, food. Yeah, Thank it was you. like that's a that's Willy Wonka that. kind of thing was. I thought it was. Okay. That's right, why so I, I, magic, I pulled it out cuz I thought it was funny.
0: Oh, you know what? Magic is what makes treacle taste like not shit. There you Hard go. Words. Wizard, okay, Wizard treacle is bed. magically
1: delicious, and the they <laughs> <laughs> they stole they stole all the deliciousness from the muggles, and we're left with this fucking nasty. You know, it's basically just rum fuel. It's not done yet. They haven't made rum out of it yet.
0: All right, new hypothesis, and then we'll move on from treacle. You know, like how there's a single gene that makes it makes determines whether or not cilantro tastes like soap to mm. people or not. Do you you like cilantro? I do. Me too. Luckily, I think I know people who don't, and to them, it apparently tastes kind of like soap. So I'm guessing the magical gene also makes treacle taste good.
1: There you go. I don't explain. Damn. It It is hailing all over my car out there.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, uh, it was nice when it didn't have dents in it, but... All right, I'm going to just leave this in. I hope it sounds okay. I'll talk over it. Sorry, everybody.
1: Oh yeah, um, I thought that was just like some kind of static command, but yeah, now I can hear the hail in
0: your background. Oh and you know what? It turned out it literally turned on my car alarm. We're gonna to have to put a pause on this. I'll be right back. <laughs> yep, I guess we'll we'll see if we can wrap up before the hail reaches you. That reminds me, so I'm not sure at what point I'll find a way to snip this back in, mm-hmm. but I had to bail somewhere between when the hail kicked on like crazy and then turned on my car alarm, which I could see from the window and I knew it was gonna be kind of annoying to listen to for the rest of the episode. So that was cool. Hail's basically done, it's just you know a little rainy and windy now, but yeah, we got this awesome quick flash flood of hail. I got a cool picture. I just went out and scooped up a handful. Um, anyway, speaking of all this... I, uh, I had my
1: basement flood once because the hail uh, piled up so high that the rain then uh, float, went above it and then went in through a basement window. That sure it was sucks. Yeah, it was like, uh, the, the hail was like four feet deep. Oh, damn. Yeah, it like funneled through the side of my house. So, it like, was like everywhere within a few acres all funneled through one spot and it piled up. And flood my house. That was cool. Hmm. Good times.
0: Well, on the plus side, with a townhome, I don't have a basement, so not like not some townhomes do, but mine doesn't. So anyway, oh, you know what? I was going to yeah. mention this too. Um, I was going to bring it up at the top of the show, but I wasn't sure if like the announcement had been made yet. But I checked while I was off putting out my my car alarm, and uh, yeah. So the because um, I wanted to make sure that this had been like officially decided and wasn't just discussed among the the doof moderator or admin team, but uh, yeah, the your friends at Doof uh, have decided to donate uh, 500 bucks towards the National Bail Fund, and they put in a link, uh, communityjusticeexchange.org slash nbfn-directory. Um, so this is coming from your guys' uh, generous donations to us. is going to a noble cause, and uh, I think that was a pretty awesome move. I wasn't... uh Agreed. It's not like I... I in fact, I, I joined the conversation late. I, just, I I wish I could still be like, oh yeah, it was my idea, and I convinced them to do it. But no, it was actually uh, the awesome people who are. I think it might have been Scott Daly, the one who who spearheaded this. I'm 90 percent sure. Who has, who has I, virtue
1: that does not require signaling? The what? So, who has virtue that does not require signaling?
0: That's right. And uh, so on the on the yeah, you know, I just figured it tied in well to the whole virtue signaling stuff. That like, Dude. you know, this this is doing awesome good stuff and. Uh, you know if you dismiss it as virtue signaling i'm going to call you out as being pointlessly cynical especially if you say it is just virtue signaling just um you know like could could he could we have made the decision to do this anonymously totally but i i maintain that especially when you're uh have a position of you know even super modest esteem but the thing is they've got hundreds of people on their discord server and on their mailing list that Saw that they made this donation, there's a very real chance that it'll encourage some people, more, more people to donate. So yes. if you are a patron of Doof Media, thank you for your support that has uh, gone to the uh, why am I blanking on the name of it again, the uh, National Bail Fund, and check your, uh, your Patreon inbox for the whatever letter that Scott yeah it was Scott. He actually signed the letter too. so See, and, if, and um, if you
1: were wondering if you could go from like a buck to five bucks, maybe maybe this is the thing. You decide. Yeah.
0: And uh or just give the uh, funds to
1: the National Bail Fund.
0: Right, exactly. You can give it straight to them, but I while I'll never not well, I'll never not encourage people to donate and support Doof Media, I will say that um like from my other podcast we had somebody write and like they they were they felt bad that they had to cut back because they, they are they're still unemployed from all this bullshit plague that was going on. Back when that was the biggest of our troubles. Um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, two weeks ago, those nice, calm days, and the scariest part of your day was going to get groceries.
1: God, remember um, before the aliens invaded?
0: Right. Those were the days. But anyway, so, you know, like, th- they're, this person was hard up for cash because their uh, unemployment sled kicked in, and they were like, I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to withdraw support. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You should have <laughs> done this months ago. Like, we will send you back some of your, your payments. Like, this is, you know, it's not a – anyway, if, if you're at all hard up for cash, cut your Patreon stuff first. Cut this one last because I don't think I have the authority to say cut do for first. But <laughs> um, do uh, do take care of yourselves and you know if you, and all that. But also take care of the of your community. Um, anyway, so everyone, thank you for your support that has gone to help the uh, National Bail Fund. I think that's super awesome. And Especially so many people
1: that need bail right now who are also probably many of them out of work because of COVID. Isn't
0: that isn't, this is so insane. I know, it's just fucking I, nutty.
1: I just like, okay, virtue signaling. I just like stupidly decided, okay, from now on, everybody, no matter what, if it's possible to tip them, they're getting a 20% tip. Just because I managed to slide through this, not losing my job. um, And apparently one in five people haven't, so.
0: Yeah, Whoever well, I guess I get, to, I, I get to up you on that one and, and say that the like three times that I've ordered food from a restaurant in the last three months, I've tipped 30%, but you know. Nice. I'm just
1: 10% you know, more generous than you and a 10% better person. Really? Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, 50% and also also more attractive to the opposite sex. (laughs) Well, by, uh, by a quantitative 10%.
0: Yes. Uh, somehow we'll, we'll find the judges to (laughs) make this a funny joke that I can't bring home. So, um, no, it's just like, I, I also go out very seldom, but like I went, Picked up sushi a couple, three weekends ago. And as long as we're in sidetrack land, I'll just bring that up. And it was great. I got to order ahead, drive there. It was ready when I picked it up. They, you know, everyone, I could see the sushi chefs wearing masks. The guy who handed it to me was wearing a mask and gloves. And he didn't take my card. I got to, like, put the thing in myself and do it. And there was Purell on the the counter. So I was able to do a pump and grab the bag and leave. And I'm like, fuck yeah, 30%. Like, this is Mm -hmm. the best service I've ever gotten. Like, I got to come in, get my food, and leave immediately. And, like, and, of course they're they're working and risking you know uh their their health to you know stay employed and i'm like yeah i mean you guys are also good crazy less business the least you know I, as long as we're losing virtual sig- virtue signaling contests i've seen a handful <laughs> of pictures on reddit where it's like look at this this person tipped literally their whole stimulus check because they got to keep their job and they gave it all to our restaurant or something or all to the employees and it's like all right cool yeah that person wins a medal mm. you know we're just we're just tipping, <laughs> <So>. just tipping. <laughs> all right um this this chapter ends up with uh, um, like Hermione is thinking about how Harry had like changed a bit in the last few days from the the day of the Phoenix that yeah. she's calling in her head. And he says like so, there was something new in him, not cold but hard. And I like this little visual because it's like this just seems so uh, like on its face like cheeky, but it's it you you know because we've been in Harry's head like what is really going on there, right. but. Sometimes she caught him staring out a window at nothing visible with a look of grim determination on his face. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's just practicing looking stoic in front of people so that he can, you know, seem mysterious and deep. But when in <laughs> fact, he actually is doing that. But it's just kind of funny. Um, I really
1: like the, because uh, this, and this goes on, like his interaction in a little bit with McGonagall. Like, I like how it's described in sort of like this really convincing, you know, weighty way that, like, this has changed Harry. In like, you know, big, painful ways, but also in good ways. We start seeing kind of a more humble and generous Harry out of this. But I like that just so there's kind of an unaffected um, change in Harry where he's, you know, a lot more serious, but kind of uh, thoughtlessly is the wrong word. You know, he's... You know, taking care of other people and being empathetic with other people in a way that is not concerned with how that is being perceived. He's not—he's not virtue signaling. that um, we see—we see that in a, in a few ways. We'll—we'll we'll get to that. But like, he's—he's he's taking care of other people because like, shit has gotten real for Harry, and he's kind of like realigned his priorities um, in a way that's more about the thing and not about what people think about what he's doing.
0: Yeah, it. I think. Yeah, I guess we'll yeah. see how... Yeah, and we talk like, he, in a little bit, we talk about,
1: like, oh, he you know he pushes somebody out of the way of, like, getting fucked up. I can't remember what it was. You know, somebody's about to get hurt in herbology because that's dangerous. Um, and he just sort of, like, helps them and then goes back to what he was doing and doesn't think anything big of it.
0: And, yeah, he's just, like, casually yeah. throwing himself in danger and yeah. being kind of, like, a hero. Yeah. I like how Anthony puts it. Uh, he says uh, he seems a lot older all of a sudden. Yeah. Not like a real grown-up. But I can't imagine <laughs> Harry as a grown-up. But like he suddenly turned into a fourth-year version of whatever he is. Whatever he is.
1: I like it because it gives sort of like a like this vibe of the authenticity of it that he's not like posturing. He just sort of like reality has gotten much bigger for him. His world is wider, and he's. Uh, and this, I was thinking about like this is what I think. So this story is going in a in a very different direction. But my like if you if I had to say like what was the original Harry Potter about. Um, For me, it was, it is a a young boy being forced to grow up too quickly um, and being sort of overwhelmed with the world he's dropped into. And this is kind of a little bit of a callback to that, that like there's been a legit, you know, kind of earth moving event for Harry. And he is actually not, he's not posturing rising to the occasion, he's actually rising to the occasion and... It's overwhelming for him, but it's also like changed him in good ways, but also in kind of the, in, you know, like Hermione calls it in hard ways. He's becoming harder, but um, but he's, you know, hanging on to his goodness at the same time.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. i uh looking forward to it. Yeah,
1: And I kind of I kind of jump like we're we're about to see some of that coming in with the, where the plot goes here. But...
0: No, you're good. Yeah. It gives us kind of like this little comic, not quite comic relief, just the nice little. I'm sure there's a literary term for it, but like this ease of, of <laughs> seriousness into yeah. like a, oh man, we're going to be screwed in the next, you know, chaos army yeah. or whatever, the next uh, defense battle. And... Well, and uh, I
1: think we we get into it. Like, so right after this, we go into, he's in McGonagall's office, right? Right. That's it Yeah. And that, that was the other one that reminded, like the way, so McGonagall says to him, um, which is weird. It was hard for me to like catch up like this, like, what are we doing in the telling of the story right now? But... Uh, Mcgonagall starts talking about Hagrid, um, explains the whole like history of like how you know Hagrid's wand was snapped and being blamed for the death of a student, yada yada yada, um, and she's like, but uh, because we just figured out the you know long extended thing of uh, the secret chamber was opened x number of years ago, and then that explains that it couldn't have been Hagrid that killed the student. Um, that, like, punchline to that is Hagrid is, has now been found innocent and is going to get his wand back, and Harry, he was such good friends with your parents, I think he would really like it if you were the one that told him. Um, that whole thing struck me as odd. I'm like, this is a weird, like, segue into that, but, um, but Harry's response was, no, it shouldn't be me, and, and the reason he gives, kind of like on the surface, is That would be kind of too telling of, you know, my status as a parcel mouth. Like, why? the fact that I could, like, deduce that the Chamber of Secrets had been opened would reveal too much information. Um, So I shouldn't be the one to tell Hagrid. And McGonagall's, like, whole motivation for this was, like, this would just be, like, a nice human exchange between people. And, oh, you know, Hagrid has watched over you since you were a baby and you guys hardly know each other. So this would be, like, a nice way for you guys to kind of connect. And so Harry kind of gives this, like, plausible, logical reason why they shouldn't do it, but, um, but of McGonagall kind of sees that, and she says, you know, is it, is it that the reason, or is it because, quote, you don't expect him to prove useful, Mr. Potter? Um, and this was another one where I, like, like, this was, for me, another sign of how Harry, the, the change that's happening to Harry is when he sort of gets, like, you can picture, like, older Harry, not older, but, like, previous Harry, um, like sort of rebutting that accusation, um, but he just sort of um, so, so she says like, is it really just that you don't think he's going to be useful? And uh, what Harry says is so sadness crossed Harry's face. Probably Harry said quietly, but I don't think he and I would get along. Do you? Um, and I really like that because it was again this sort of like this hard Harry, but it was but it's also like it's not a mean Harry, um, and it's also like a humble like that's a there's a humility to that and a, like an introspectiveness to, cause she says, and she's basically saying, you know, are you being, you know, old Harry, are you being, you know, just sort of like calculating and a little bit sociopathic Harry. And he doesn't just straight up deny it. He sort of acknowledges, he's like, okay, that's maybe a little bit true that I'm being like very, um, you know, transactional with the with the people I'm working with. And you're probably not entirely wrong about that. Um, but then what I like, so he's sort of like being, um, on, he's being honest about that instead of, like, being debatey about it. But then he, when he says, you know, but I don't think he and I would get along to you, like, that's a very sort of non-judgmental way to put it. And it's, it's like he's sort of saying, like, like it is it is not a shortcoming of Hagrid's that I don't want to have anything to do with him. It's just that he and I probably wouldn't get along, and I don't want, you know, I don't want to be mean to anybody. And and that would have, like, that's, that was an in- where he could have just said something like snarky and demeaning, and he sort of chose not to in that moment. I guess it sort of stood out to me as like in contrast to the ways he talked about Ron. Because sort of like Ron, like Ron and Hagrid, for me, like stick out as the, you know, the characters that got written out of the plot. Like they were much bigger in the original, and here they are kind of non-figures. Um, and, but with Ron, we were, you know, very snarky and condescending about it. Um, but with Hagrid, he's sort of being kind of more um, magnanimous. And he's sort of like consciously choosing, like like that was an opportunity for cruelty that he actively chose not to take.
0: That's a really uh, awesome way of putting it. Like, yeah, you're. I think you're exactly right. And, and to me, there's also just this element of like actual sadness to yeah. it because it, and it's it's from uh, Professor McGonagall's point of view. But like, we totally get it, where it's like, um, he, he's like, you know, I. Uh, her her read was that oh you don't think he'll be useful and it's not clear whether or not that's exactly what harry was thinking but then when she says it it's like maybe that sort of that's when he realizes yeah. that like yeah maybe that was what i was thinking so yeah she's he's like, like you don't know have what i can't time like to be sipping that. yeah like he's thinking i don't have time to be sipping tea with you know the friendly resident giant like i gotta i got like real shit i need to yeah. do it sucks but and also like just to him like you mentioned the the contrast with ron like with, with, with this whole thing with Ron he's like what are Ron and I can talk about like Quidditch you know no. yeah. fuck that yeah. Horror, yeah horror horror with this he's just like it's sad but I don't think there's anything for Hagrid and I to, to talk about like yeah. we don't have anything in common and to him that now instead of him being able to like just you know stand proud on his superiority he's just he, it's actually kind of a bummer to him he's like I, I kind of I get the I get the feeling that he's like I would like to be able to you know relate to him and have stuff to hang out with but I just don't think we have anything there
1: yeah and, and I like, like it this... it sort of makes it feel like a little more three-dimensional in that like it's not that like oh I've had this you know great you know personal transformation and now I'm a really you know nice considerate magnanimous person and, um, like no Harry's like fucked up and sad and overwhelmed um, and like this all feels too much for him but you know but in that he's still like found this sort of new sort of like empathy for other people
0: yeah it's awesome um. then he, he kind of moves on to say oh yeah speaking of making use of people it seems like I'm going to be thrown into a war with the dark lord sometime soon so while I'm here I'd like to ask that my sleep cycle be extended to 30 hours per day and he mentions that he wants to like start practicing dueling and uh, other things he wants to learn um, he says you know if there's a potion or whatever I need to take that'd be great and then she kind of looks at him and she's like Mr. Potter mm-hmm. and then he's he's just like not playing the whole like yeah. I'm sorry professor he says Yes, Minerva, I know it wasn't your idea, but I'd like to survive the use the headmaster is making of me. Please don't be an obstacle to that. Which almost sounds like a douchey thing to say, but, like, given, I think, where he's coming from, like, could it have been delivered more softly? Sure. Yeah. But I think it fits perfectly with with exactly what you were just laying out, that, like, you know, look... I'm being thrown into a war. Like I totally get why you want to protect me from that, but apparently you can't. So can you at least help me with it? Yeah, like if you can't help me, can you at least not try and like hinder me? Yeah,
1: because this feels like it's like calling back to his first interactions with McGonagall in Diagon Alley, where he's basically he's just hustling her um, to try to get what he wants. But it's that same sort of like haggling kind of interaction of I'm going to ask for more than you want to give, and then I'm going to try to you know, debate you into giving me what I want. But here it's sort of like, like everything, everything's gotten real in Harry's world. So this is a totally like, oh no, I really need to do this. Shit's just gotten real. Like people are coming after me for my life and apparently this is all going to be super important to the entire wizarding world. And you fuckers have turned me into the guardian of humanity. Um, so get the fuck out of my way. Like, like this is like Harry's mature, m- mature uh, more mature at this point. He's like, okay, these are real actual issues that I'm having to deal with. Um, so it's like the, his ob- original interaction with McGonagall was like the pretend selfish version of this actual thing that he's doing now.
0: Yeah. And I, I yeah, totally. And, but, uh, you know, again, because, you know, beloved, gentle grandmother Minerva McGonagall uh-huh. has this like, you know, children shouldn't have to think like that. And he's just, and I think they actually had this same argument in Alley. And he's like, that's what makes adults insane. And, you know, if you don't think about bad things, ha- it doesn't make them not happen. Yeah. Rather than rehash that, he, just, he, he acquiesces. He says, you're right. They shouldn't. A lot, of, a lot of children have to grow up too early, though, and not just me. And uh, he says, I'm not going to pity myself, Professor McGonigal, when there are people out there in real trouble, and I'm not one of
1: them. Yeah, like that was another so, like, one that stood out for me. Is like Harry making an active choice there to not make more of himself. Um, that's like another yeah explicit, it's like statement of humility. Like
0: I just like how I didn't I didn't notice the exact connection um, from when like this was the same thing they had in their first altercation in Diagon Alley about like oh you shouldn't have to think about bad stuff happening when you know about the Healer's kid.
1: Yeah, and there he was so much more like the stakes were smaller. It was like, you know, way more of a petty little I, I want to get what I want to get thing. And he, he was sort of, he was more grandiose about it in that first interaction. And now here, where it sort of like would be more warranted, he's, you know, not, you know, blowing things. He's not, you know, trying to make things sound more dramatic. He's just sort of stating the way things are. Yeah. yeah, he's, no, he's like not doing it for effect anymore. It's it's not an act.
0: It's like there's some growth of character going yeah, on with a protagonist. Yes,
1: yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Or that you like weren't supposed to like that behavior in the first place. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's like grown as person. Maybe it's not okay um, to be a condescending prick to people. Uh, 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 mumble, mumble,
0: mumble, 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 mumble. <laughs> I I do like this line where she says, you know, or, or this whole little exchange because it's kind of like. I don't know, I'll, I'll just read it and tell me what you think of it, but she says, Mr. Potter, at 30 hours a day, you'll get older, you'll age faster. And then in her head, she thinks, like Albus. And mm-hmm. he says, yeah, and in my fifth year, I'll be, the same, I'll be about the same physiological age as Hermione. That doesn't seem that terrible. And then he's kind oh, of like, kinda, also, like, like, like oh, smiling. Oh, that
1: implies, like, Harry just quick did that math in his head. Or that he already right. had, or whatever. But that was a very hairy moment of like, oh, no, I don't need to stop to think about that.
0: <laughs> well, and also, it, it shows that, like, this isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Like... Yeah, so in, like, four or five years, I'll be a few months older. Like, sure. But, you know, that's that's not that big of a problem. But uh, he kind of plays it off a little bit of a smile. He's like, honestly, I'd probably want this even if there weren't a Dark Lord. And um, he's like, yeah, you know, might as well cram as many hours as I can into a day. But the the line that she says, you'll, you'll get older, you'll age faster, and it says, like Albus. I wonder uh, how long he's been making heavy use of time turners to get all of his, you know, her yeah. hero shit done.
1: Which apparently are like way more than we knew.
0: Yeah, so, I, you know, I guess one of us could math uh, this out. Well, I guess if you're getting an extra <laughs> six hours a day, I'm not going to do it in my head right now. But you know, maybe if he's has got that than every one. day for 25 years yeah. or 50 years, however long Dumbledore's been doing it. Yeah, he's older than he looks. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore's he always looks been of
1: like vague age though, right? Like there's like always an implied thing that he's much older than he seems. Isn't that? Yeah. Kind of in the background, but and I'm not sure how some wizards he... live for a very, very long time. Not like, not like, you know, Philosopher's Stone or anything, but just like some wizards are able to just sort of extend their lives beyond what a normal person would.
0: I think something like the I forget when it was brought up, but the average wizarding age is something well past a hundred,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that's why Harry was all pissy. Yeah about, you know. Oh yeah, let's say, you know, they died at the the, the sad young age of like 80, <laughs> which is how old, you know, muggles live or something. So um anyway, uh he throws that Godric Gryffindor quote at her and then she's like, "Well, fuck, Dumbledore is not going to, you know, turn this down then because she just threw Godric Gryffindor in his face. Um which that was the line that we read in uh what was it? Like The Patronus Charm, Wizards Who Could and Couldn't. Yeah. And it was if uh If it had been been the right thing for him to do, then he wouldn't tell anyone else to choose wrongly, not even the youngest student in Hogwarts.
1: I like, the other thing I like about this interchange at the end, like, Harry's much less on, like, there's much less of a performance to this, and I don't know if this is going to come out making any kind of sense, uh, but what it reminded me of is, like, when somebody, like, has, like, legitimate confidence or authority, I'm thinking of, like, a, a few specific instances of actually military officers that I've known, and their interaction with other people in, in incidents that are sort of a contest of wills or just a conflict of what, how one person wants to get their way and the other person doesn't. And that there are people that have, like when you have actual you know, confidence or authority, there's this vibe that comes off of like being sincerely kind of magnanimous and empathetic about the foregone conclusion that I'm going to get my way. Like, I want to make the process of you giving me what I want as painless for you as possible, because I want good things for you. It's not a question about whether or not I'm going to get my way, because that ship already sailed. <laughs> but now, having, having, you haven't realized that, that yet, but I would like that to be as comfortable and experienced for you as possible. Uh, and that's sort of the vibe that I'm getting off of Harry's. Like, he already knows like how this is going, and he's just trying not to be a dick about it. And there's much less of a performance to it.
0: I like that. That reminds me of, uh, what was his name? Uh, he was a Navy SEAL. Jocko Willink was on Sam Harris's podcast. And the guy, he I think he wrote a book and now he does like some business consultation, something or other for that exact sort of like uh, energy, whatever it is. But the way he talked, like just the way he spoke and and began and ended each sentence, there was this just like, iron solid deliberate Mm -hmm. deliberateness to it that it it it, if anyone if i'm what i'm trying to say it that's what came to mind when when you're painting that picture and if it's if my picture of what you're trying to paint is is accurate i think that anyone who's curious what that looks like just find the episode of uh i forget what it was called back then sam harris's podcast oh um waking up now it's called making sense The one with Jocko Willink. I forget what they talk about, but just like listen to this guy talk for ten minutes and be like, okay, yeah, that sort of like.
1: um, It's a very non-puffing of the chest version. Yeah, because he doesn't need to to puff his chest. Yeah,
0: he doesn't need to puff his chest because he just he talks like fucking Captain America, but without putting on airs.
1: Yeah, 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 like it's it's like it's the sense of how how much how. Evident it is that they are not performing because they don't feel the need to perform. Like, so the, one of the situations I'm remembering was this guy basically talking down. This guy that's being drunk and belligerent, and it was in his house. Uh, in the, there was a dr- drunken belligerent guest in this uh, military commander's guy's house, and he was then at the point. Like, and you could tell from him, he was in this like sincere position of, you're either going to leave this room and lie down, and sleep this off or you're getting in the cab, I'm going to call you, and you're leaving, and I want to make sure that you're comfortable with which of those decisions you're about to make. <laughs> and what was worried about it is that he really was. <laughs> like, his main concern at that point was just making sure that there were no hard feelings about how he was not going to be a problem anymore. Um, and there's something about like that just like sets you like, oh, the level of confidence in this guy is so actually large that you're no longer, it just resets your whole expectations about your interaction with the person. <laughs> so that was sort of the vibe I got off of Harry here was like, that, and that I, I think why I kept using that phrase, like shit has gotten real for Harry and he's not playing anymore. Yeah. And he's like aware of the fact, he's like, I am the boy who lived, I have a power that nobody else has and he's not seeing that as some sort of reflection of his grand importance in the scheme of the universe and how impressed everybody should be with him. He's like, well, okay, shit, we have to take care of this and apparently I'm the only one that can.
0: Yeah. Like that confidence thing. Just to mm. bring up one more fictional example, it kind of makes you think of like, I imagine like if Clark Kent was arguing with somebody mm. and like wasn't doing his best Clark Kent impression, but it's like, okay, look, you need to go, and it's or like you're gonna go now. Yeah. It's like, I guess I'm leaving. Like yeah. the the way that this was said just broke broke no argument because the person who said it has the confidence of somebody who can tank a bullet. Yeah, so, yeah, that, right. that was the other
1: one I was thinking of with my brother-in-law who's a black belt, um, and. Yeah, and the just non the the non chest puffy lack of fear <laughs> when in a conflict with somebody. It's like, well, no, you're not going to hurt me, so that's not. I'm not concerned about that. It's badass. Yeah. That's what's cool about when you see this. Like that's that's the thing I think about. Like with military people, like the actual like when you see actual confidence, it's such a it's a pleasant interaction.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it, there, there's a way to be actually confident and yeah. you have room domineering to be magn- almost yeah. makes it sound like bullying but there's a way to control yeah. the outcome of a situation without being a dick yeah. and, and you have room uh, to, to be
1: magnanimous cool. about it so,
0: right yeah. alright so then, then Harry says uh, alright well dare I ask about the second piece of good news and it says like oh uh, Professor Quarrel has woken up and says that you may and then it just, <laughs> just cuts cut. off the sentence and line Better break go. and so I get you just get the impression that Harry just ran out of the room as fast as he could yeah. to you know, talk to Professor Quarrel so um yeah they he's in the infirmary which just more uh hogwarts doesn't have any geometry that makes sense Mm -hmm. um it's in the middle of the castle but there's four you know it's lit by windows on all four sides and um what i like about this is that even in that bright place quirrell has got his own dark room lit by a single smokeless torch i like how before
1: we walk in there 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 there's what like two or three students that are like laid up in a hospital bed And it just made me think, like, jokingly think, like, what is the level of tolerance at Hogwarts for, like, fucking up your students? Like, before that's, like, you know, send the kid home or parents are going to show up really pissed off. It's like, oh, yeah, no, your kid's in the hospital. I mean, he was only, like, in the hospital for a couple days. It's fine. We brought his homework to him. Right. It's all good.
0: (laughs) Like, it makes you wonder, you know, they obviously didn't do this because Harry's parents sucked in the regular books. But, like, when he loses all the bones in <laughs> his arms or something, and then they, like, he spends an agonizing night regrowing them. Like, is that the kind of thing that they'd ordinarily write home to tell a mm. parent about if they weren't the Dursleys? <laughs> I, you totally get the impression that, like, no. That? Like, hey, this shit just happens. Sure, you're going to spend a night in, j- in, night, night in jail. A night in, uh, the, you know, night, an the agonizing hospital, right? night in the hospital. Um, but, you know, this is Hogwarts. This happens. <laughs> You'll be fine.
1: It's just a couple of broken. I mean, he didn't lose a limb or anything, did he? He's fine. <laughs> no, he didn't lose all his limbs, did he? <laughs>
0: right. I can't remember what happened. How did? Because it... it did lose all the bones in his arm. I think it was,
1: uh, I think it was a spell. I think it was something. It yeah, something li- I think it was something liquefied his bones or something. Or was that? The I feel cure? like it was something
0: that Dobby yeah. did to fuck with him. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I think in I think case. something like
1: liquefy. Except, uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly. It was something. There was something about like bones completely lost all. His, his bones turned to spaghetti yeah but i can't remember Which, if that was the solution or the problem
0: i can't either but well it was a problem but yeah <laughs> if it was solving a problem or not of course like let's just pretend you know just takes magic to say like let's not just you know let's ignore completely how much how disastrous that would be for your body <laughs> if you just lost a bunch of bones in one part of it right it's not a matter of just putting the back like everything in there is completely fucked <laughs> 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 all right So in Professor Quirrell's little dungeon inside the hospital, um, like what I like about this was, uh, Madame Pomfrey told Harry that he was absolutely forbidden to pester her patient, and Harry had said, "I understand," which technically did not say anything about obedience. (laughs) This was
1: another one of those where I'm like, "Okay, it's just sort of fun." It's like like those signs
0: that uh, say, "Like please stay off the grass," and it's like, "Oh, the please makes it a request." (laughs) Please just says you know it would be great if you didn't. But if they said to stay off the grass, that'd be one thing. I like that uh that Simpsons thing where Lisa's looking at that sign. It's like stay out, and then there's a smaller sign under it that says or don't. I'm a sign, not a cop. <laughs> <laughs> or don't. And then Coral scares her, scares yeah, yeah. Madame Pomfrey away with some look that isn't described to us, other than yeah, she says that. Yeah, she's like, trying to do the bad. whole like
1: like domineering nurse vibe. That came out sounding not as I intended, but <laughs> be like, "Oh, I'm the, I run this place. You have to do what I say." And Quirrell just kind of like gives her the stink eye, and she fucks off.
0: Yeah, the Quirrell eye, the which coral is eyes. scary apparently. So, it was right around this moment when Harry says that Professor Quirrell looks older, and there's like this ellipses line break, and it draws it out like he's like he's looking at him, and he's like, "What looks different about him?" And he's like, "He looks." Older. Like this one really out stuck
1: out to me, and I, so so I climbed a lot of paranoia on this one. Um, yeah. And I think part of it was that there was again, there was that weird like everything's cold and ice scene after they um, got out of Azkaban, but before they got back, um, and it kept talking about his pale blue eyes. And I think didn't it, it? And it also like tied that to Harry also having blue eyes. Does Harry also have blue eyes? I don't know. I don't know. People. Uh,
0: if they're if like they were in canon, I think they were described as emerald green. Emerald green. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I somehow I remember that scene as them tying it in that they had the same eyes, and I'm remembering that as like oh, because they're the same person. But anyway, but the fact like the mentioning the the pale blue eyes um, here for me at least it, it tied me back to that scene, um, and and then like calling him older like it was some sort of like Dorian Gray kind of something going on, um, but so I don't know. There's something about that that like triggered like, okay, there's something significant to this. Um, and I'm not sure where to go with it, but um, calling him older. Like I started running with ideas that don't seem like they can completely fit. But um, the idea was like, okay, what if Quirrell isn't like, he's got, you know, a billion personalities. Um, and that what if Quirrell has always existed and that this is just the latest iteration of who Quirrell is pretending to be, um, and that uh, Grindelwald was Quirrell, Voldemort is Quirrell, and every bad person ever has been Quirrell. And that he's like <laughs> like old scratcher can't like he's the original bad guy and just keeps coming back, or like he has never died. And he and the reason he's never died <clears throat> is because he keeps, you know, he's made as many copies of his Horcruxes as he can, and he just plants them all over the place like some kind of like paranoid online backup. Um, and that he's, and having done that, he's managed to survive since the dawn of time. And he has always been there. And that like explains how he seems to know any, everything and why he's rich as fuck. And, but like, you know, why he's stealthily rich as fuck. Um, and, you know, has no background cause he just sort of is good at becoming, you know, like assuming a role out of the middle of nowhere. Um, it doesn't quite fit, especially, and I, and he said, so, so I, like, it doesn't work entirely but I don't know there's like something there's something about that that idea that seemed like oh we're we're hinting at something similar to that but I don't know the idea the idea that so the fact that he like oh he looked he's all fucked up and he looked older I guess like the super simple version of that is he is weaker and so his ability to hold back his tremendous age is uh is weakened and so he looks older I guess that's like the simple version of that and then everywhere I ran with that but
0: I think that's awesome. I I, I always like the uh, the speculations from the top of the ladder. Of <laughs> um There's there's also the bit where it's describing like what he like just how unsettling it is for Harry to see, you know, larger than life Professor Quirrell laying yeah. in bed in a hospital gown, and you know just looking like you know he says he'd never seen anyone dying before, but he had seen movies and like this this was not he was not supposed to look like this, and I think that sort of like Shock reaction vibe that it was conveyed really well. Yeah, and
1: especially uh, because Harry's had this such like a like infantilized relationship with Quirrell of just seeing him as like the uber mensch, infallible and all powerful. So seeing him kind of fucked up is unsettling. And that like to to the same extent that Harry's completely irrational and fawning over Quirrell, uh, seeing him like this is upsetting to the same extent. Totally.
0: Well, it'd be and, upsetting even if you just uh, ordinarily liked him too. But yeah. yeah. This for Harry seeing it was like it was a pretense of mortality and the defense professor was not supposed to be mortal. Yeah. Like that's the the that's what comes across with that vibe that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, it also says that I guess at least to Harry's deductions and I think in my own version of events in my head I think Harry's right that like Quirrell didn't get defeated by Snape when Snape walked in as the apologist Harry. He allowed himself to be defeated just to give himself an excuse to recover which is a I don't know. I think a satisfactory explanation. Of what
1: do you yeah. think? Uh, yeah, it's well. Yeah, I guess so. That part did make sense, um, and I guess I believe that. And but that like the whole thing. I guess it's like he is really thoroughly fucked up because of what Harry did to him um, by by patronizing his um, Avada Kedavra. Um, oh, yeah.
0: I didn't even think about yeah. that. I, I assumed it was more the Dementor stuff, but you're right. Maybe it was the whole yeah. magic. Well, that's really sort of like all of yeah. it. It's kind of like all of it, but. Um, yeah. But yeah,
1: but I guess, yeah.
0: It was a rough Saturday <laughs> <laughs> afternoon for the defense professor. Yeah, yeah,
1: cool. Um, But yeah, I did believe it. Like, when it said that, I'm like, yeah, he probably threw the game with Snape um, just for appearances. But,
0: yeah, and give him ex- give himself an excuse okay. to bet up for he did. Oh, wait. Okay, so here's
1: my. I'm, I'm running with my. I don't know where the fuck I'm going with this paranoid theory, but. Um, so Quirrell is Merlin, and I don't actually believe this, but it's a cool idea, um, and created the interdict of Merlin so that all the powerful shit couldn't be passed on to his competitors. But if he's going to live forever, he gets to keep the power and, trans- and pass it on to anybody he likes because he's going to be alive to pass it on by word of mouth, but nobody else will. That's a that's cool idea. A cool, yeah, cool cool cool. idea. It, does, it doesn't work, but it's a cool idea. But that'd be fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, it might work. Who knows? Yes. I can neither confirm nor deny anything, but <laughs> I do like the idea. Um, let's see. Yeah, basically, Harry's telling him, like, all right, well, I'm glad to see you in what appears to be good health. Um, oh, yeah. And then Quirrell does that, like, sleight of hand thing where he whips out his wand. He says, would you believe that woman thinks she's confiscated this from me? <laughs> and then he does okay. some of the, the secrecy charms. And it's not all of yeah, them. Yeah, he can it's only so- do
1: seven of them or something because he's weak.
0: And I think there's some some limits of what he can do without being noticed. Uh, But yeah, I think part of it is the weakness, and then um, because he later does like
1: twenty-two of them or something in a little bit.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. I think that's next chapter. Which I just got another chapter to go. We got to keep rolling. Next chapter is short. all solo. So, Um, yeah. So uh, Harry's kind of like trying to gear the conversation towards what he wants to really talk about, and he's like, "Did the headmaster tell you that we can't go to lunch anymore?" And he's like. Something along those lines. And he says, Well, it was actually more than that. Like, I can't leave Hogwarts for, you know, uh, at least till I graduate. I was hoping. Oh, and Quirrell uh, changed to a
1: snake for this conversation so that they could speak in partial tongue.
0: Well, so I think that's what Harry is hinting at here when he says, yeah. I was hoping. Dot, 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 oh, to is he, speak not, with yet? You is he about not yet? Is he not yet? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then that's when he says, Okay, well, we'll just uh, have to rely on the fact that the deputy minister will personally murder anyone who tries to report me. And I intend to keep this conversation on track so we can include it quickly. Is that understood? And then he turns into a snake. So I think what he was saying there was that, like, you know what? I think even if the deputy headmistress learns I'm a secret animagus, like, she won't tell anyone mm-hmm. because she needs the beloved defense professor around, which we've talked a bit about. I think that, in my mind, McGonagall just loves having a competent person around to make her, you know, to nurture her students and make them better, that she's willing to overlook just about anything. Like, they had that argument, I think, on the first week of school, uh, Harry and Professor McGonagall did, where she said that, like, if uh, if you try and, if you, you know, I've already resigned myself to the fact that, you know, it's going to end terribly, and you will play a central role, mm-hmm. but if that happens any earlier than, like, the Ides of May, I will pour you, yeah. or, like, I'll hang you upside okay. down by your entrails and pour fire beetles up your nose, and he's like, oh, fuck, she's, she's, she's really committed to ha- keeping this guy around, so...
1: Yeah, I uh-huh. kind of lump that, like, that whole explanation feels entirely inadequate to me, but I lump it in the whole, like, that's part of the big pile of why the fuck does nobody think there's anything weird about this guy? But, so it's, it's, all, pa- it's all part of the same thing. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll roll on. Um, and, and you can
0: summarize, basically, whatever you want as far as the conversation, you know, Harry's saying that... Uh, yeah, so he said, master, yeah. he said,
1: yeah, he's like, I'm not allowed off of the school grounds, and that blows... Um, And Dumbledore uh, thinks, so it's interesting, so he says, Dumbledore thinks it's Voldemort. It's weird, he has, what's the phrase he used to describe Dumbledore? Because he's got, he has to have, like, snake words for everything. Oh, yeah. Schoolmaster. Yeah, schoolmaster. I imagine, yeah, so the snake word for schoolmaster. Um, What is snake school? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I thought it was like, but he can't use a name because he would just say that out loud and then they knew they were saying Dumbledore or something. But Right. Um. But so he, tells, he, so he tells Quirrell that, okay, Dumbledore thinks it was Voldemort that, uh, that broke Bellatrix out, which is kind of funny because Harry's like, well, no, it wasn't Voldemort. It was us, Voldemort. Um, <laughs> fool, he thinks it was Voldemort. Um, but he doesn't tell Quirrell that, um, that Dumbledore's spinning the Order of the Phoenix back up, which I thought was a little interesting that, like, he's, because Harry's like, hasn't completely come to his senses in terms of, you know, the amount of bullshit he's willing to believe from Quarrel, but he's a little bit at least, like, knowing that, okay, maybe I shouldn't just, like, lay all my cards on the table with Quirrell. Um So, but he does say, and I, well, he, he does, it like, he's come to the conclusion that he does need to rule all of Britain to save humanity from itself. Um, so he's on board with that plan. Um, but... You know, but, but I, how can I do that if I'm going to be locked in Hogwarts for the next six years um, and Quirrell does another one of his ha ha silly boy isn't it obvious which now like the more he does that the more it just like sticks out as like okay you're just a dick because like, <laughs> every, yeah. everything you, you tell people you pretend like it's obvious and they should have known But
0: um, yeah that, that's definitely a power yeah. play like let's not pretend like that this super convoluted plan right. is the obvious way to do it but, oh, no, if you're as smart as I am, this is obviously what you would do, which is just a great way to put yourself up. Exactly. Um, yeah, Quirrell's, Quirrell's doing that yeah. part here. His, his whole fucking plan here is just so hilarious.
1: Yeah. Right, I mean, as you, after, you know, after saying it's obvious. You're like, okay, that's, that's a good idea. Uh, but what he says, like, okay, if you have to make them not afraid of Voldemort, then you can't, like, just try to make them not afraid of Voldemort anymore. You have to give them a Voldemort um, and have that Voldemort be defeated. And then they'll think it's all cool.
0: Um, right, but if things are only obvious with hindsight bias, then it, does, it, it doesn't. That's not this. Like, yes, in hindsight, that's a, a, that's a pretty straightforward and awesome plan. But, like, to predict that in advance, it's like, no, man, you don't get to pretend like that's the obvious thing. <laughs> like, that, that's, that's, that's over the top. And, but it is a really clever idea. Right. And I like that. Basically, he says, Is it not obvious? To free yourself to gain power in Britain, you must again be seen to defeat the Dark Lord and then there's a line break so apparently they've elaborated a bit then Harry's kind of restating it back to him he says, alright, let's be clear on what is proposed you suggest we set up an imposter to impersonate the Dark Lord and he's like, well, something like that You know, rescued woman will cooperate should be most convincing when she's there you're kidnapped, you're taken to public location with witnesses, wards keep out help Uh, Dark Lord announces that he's at last regained physical form after wandering as a spirit for years says he's gained still greater power and not even you can stop him offers to let you duel and you cast guardian charm and he laughs and casts the killing curse at you and then uh the watchers see the dark lord explode i like this uh cast killing curse at me again, again? <laughs> second time <laughs> nobody could believe the, po- the dark lord would possibly be that stupid <laughs> he says you and i are the only two people in the country who will notice that trust me on this <laughs> um i think his, like the thing is i can
1: like oh everybody's dumber and we're the, well, we're the only two it, smart people in the universe.
0: Total there's a bit of that too, but it was also just a callback because that's like the only spell yeah. Voldemort uses on Harry in the canon books, yeah. and it's like, dude, you could set him on fire and kill him.
1: Yeah, I like as He's describing that whole like scene. It reminded me of the way that Sirius in the original, how Sirius Black was framed. Like they did a whole like dramatic, oh he's gonna murder somebody in uh, you know broad daylight in front of witnesses. That's that's the kind of thing they would plan for how Harry would kill a fake Voldemort.
0: Yeah, that's sort of what happened um, when Lupin was describing, you know, with Peter Pettigrew in this one too. Um, I think it was supposed to be the same thing. Like I think I think that I think that whole all the circumstances went down the same way in this in this version as well. Um, But yeah, exactly. Like all right, let's get you out public. You'll 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 blow him up, and then people will be like, oh, you saved us again, Lord Harry. Thank you. And (laughs) Harry's. Like, okay, well, uh, then I like this where the defense professor's like, well, and then I, I well, this part just jumped out It jumped out to me because it, it's Harry's internal thinking here. He says, the obvious thought was that going along with the defense professor's plots and deceptions a second time, spending an even more complicated lie to cover the first mistake and creating another fatal vulnerability should anyone ever discover the truth would be exactly the same sort of stupidity as the putative dark lord using the killing curse again. It didn't even take his Hufflepuff Hufflepuff side to point it out. Harry thought that in his very own mental voice. (laughs) But then there's also this certain question as to whether the appropriate moral to learn from the last experience was to always immediately say no to the defense professor or... And what I love about this is, like, when I'm reading it, I'm like, for fuck's sake, Harry, are you talking yourself into doing this? This is this is exactly the kind of thing that you'll look back on uh, five minutes after it explodes in everyone's faces and be like, oh, that was really dumb. Like, are you really going to let that happen? But luckily, he are at least hear? has a somewhat smart saving grace here where he says, we'll think about it. We'll not answer right away this time. We'll actually enumerate risks and benefits first, <laughs> which is, uh, you, you know... That was what he tried himself on the most for failing to do with the whole Azkaban thing. So he's like, nope, at least I'm not going to make that exact same mistake again later that same week. Where Quirrell outlines this insane plan. And then Harry's like, okay, before I actually agree, I'm going to, like, think about it first rather than just immediately do it like I did
1: before. Yeah, which is sort of like, he's like half sane. Like, he's slightly more willing to not just go along with anything Quirrell says, but uh, he still is, but he's at least questioning it. Um, but I no. like, like, he said, like, oh, okay, I need to think, like, and he's very sort of rationalist about it, like, I need to weigh the pros and cons. Um, he put there's an even better phrase that he uses for it. But, um, and then Quirrell well, like, tries to mind him about it, be like, oh, hesitation is not useful and blah, blah, blah.
0: Right. I, I think what I like about it, though, is that, I mean, he, he doesn't just. I think he's making exactly the right decision at this point, which is to not decide. Yeah, He's like, okay, I could see how this might solve the problem and, uh, you know, set me up it to, to have more political advantage and all that. Um, but, like, I learned from my lesson on Saturday, I'm not going to just jump in and say yes to whatever it is you suggest. Mm-hmm. I'm going to actually think about it first. So I just liked that he could uh, actually learn a lesson for, you know, at least a week. On the wisdom of just jumping on whatever insane plan is thrown his yeah. way. So,
1: yeah, and Quirrell's just, response is very, felt very like abusive relationship, gaslighty kind of <laughs> like fuck with your head kind of way. Which was, like, I mean, it was like thoroughly uncomfortable, but like like effective as part of the story because it like felt very Quirrell. Like it was that like uncomfortable combination of yes, that makes sense, and you're being completely manipulative right now.
0: Yeah, it's it's all, and I think like that,
1: like that totally fit. Like it really was like the very like that abusive relationship vibe to it of like just trying to like you're gonna believe your own lying eyes kind of thing. Like trying to (laughs) like lay eggs in his brain about what the smart thing would be to do.
0: Yeah, what's the, especially the line, like, you know, the rest of it I can get on board with. You know, hesitation is easy, rarely useful. Like, that makes sense. What I'm yeah. curious about is, like, other events proceed without you, which is basically like him saying, hey, there's vague reasons why you need to hurry yeah. up and make a decision. And that sounds very power play yeah. to me.
1: Well, um, and he, like, the part that makes it, like, more uncomfortable for me is the hesitation is easy and rarely useful is a... I don't know if you could just like flatly call it a true statement, but it's a it is a thing sane people say, and it totally makes sense. And so like that that uncomfortable uh, you know that gaslighty part of your brain has to like try to like you know tease that out. Like, okay, is yes, that's true, but is that true now? Is he is he saying that because it's true and wants to help me, or is he just saying that to try to get me to do what he wants to do? Um, And that's what sort of makes all of that stuff so like powerful and. And uncomfortable and shitty is that it's got like its parts of truth mixed up with, you know, manipulative bullshit.
0: Right. And I just, I like the moment. I think this is where we got cut off. That reminds me, everybody, we got cut off for like half an hour. This is the first podcast I've had almost ruined by inclement weather. I know, um, weird. You guys know, got to hear the, the, the sudden hailstorm and then, uh, oh, yeah, it's probably, you it can, out. they'll
1: probably be able to hear a lot of it in the background. Yeah, the wind got so strong that, uh, you know, I am in a, fully sheltered office but my desk was shaking like it was hitting the house so hard that my desk was shaking that was fun and oh, then it, and then it reset my modem well it, just, it cycled the power in the whole house and we had to wait for my modem to come back up
0: yeah our lights have been flickering here a smidge too but that yeah, happens every of that time the weather picks up yeah. but they don't go full out so
1: it's the anyway. authentic Colorado experience
0: that's right. It wouldn't be summer in Colorado with, uh, without some just shitty-ass thunderstorms <laughs> yeah, every day for two months.
1: Oh, yeah, and your car got hail on? It's the wrath of God, man. Yeah. I
0: went and picked out, like, I just walked out and grabbed a, a scoop full with my hand and took a picture. Like, it didn't seem overly intensely solid, but it was the first time my car line was ever gone off from hail before. How, so. big, how big were they? Uh, I'll send you the picture. About the size of, like, maybe three-quarters of a centimeter in diameter. Oh, smallish, yeah, smallish. Definitely, they just they picked up just like you know little packing material. It was funny.
1: I think shooter marbles is about the biggest I've ever seen. On here, nice. Okay, they could become bigger, but that's, that's the biggest I've gotten. Hmm. Yeah, I. Was, I
0: yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is weather. riveting
1: podcasting.
0: Talk well, in our defense, defense, it's it's been happening insanely around us for the last the, the whole. I don't, think, I don't think it started getting even overcast when so we sat down to record. Then it's just been insane since we got yeah, here. Yeah,
1: I had uh, Blue Sky when we started. Yeah, I've never had, like I said, a podcast. That's ruined the authentic water. Colorado experience. Hail and, hail and windstorm 45 minutes after Blue Skies.
0: That's right. It's Colorado. You get two seasons in a day and all four in a week. <laughs> well, it'll be snowing by Tuesday. Um, all right. So then we get a line break. Harry leaves the infirmary, and he's kind of just like, you get like the sort of like dazed vibe in fact it even says he, he like wanders off and yeah. then just like finds a corridor and then leans against the wall. And he's kind of just like, all right, well fuck, you know, I really don't want to be stuck inside for six years, but you know, then again, again, as he's talking himself, he, what I like about this is it sounds like he's talking himself up to it. Like yeah. he's like, well, you know, when I think about it, the Bellatrix black thing, isn't just imposing costs on me. Other people are worrying too. And, uh, you know, expending unknown resources to take unknown precautions and, Man, you know, so this, this, doing, the, going along with this plan might actually, uh, you know, really help them out too.
1: Maybe it's a good and thing.
0: Exactly. And what I loved about it is that, like, I, as I'm reading this, there's just, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way he's going to do this. Like, c- come on. Yeah. This would be, I get it. It, it, would, it would actually be really, I think, thematically exciting. Mm-hmm. But, like, th- this would be exactly the idiot ball trope that I mentioned <laughs> during our, our retro. Like, yeah, one of been. It's been a week since yeah. he fucking like everything went to hell when he tried this last thing. What are you doing? You just broke a psycho here almost-
1: out of prison with your known murderer professor. Yeah, yeah, I would have been yeah. like, oh come on. But I, but he like he almost did. So he comes back. We're, we're, spoiler: next chapter that you are supposed to have read by now. Um, he says no, uh, but he almost did, and that was sort of like the interesting part. And this is like us watching him, and it was a very. Like, I am reminded of the uh, Ender. Did we? The Ender Wiggin tie ins. um, Because that is the other book I am now reading to my daughter. But it was. It it reminded me of those times where Ender, like, you know, stoically deals with the situation in front of him and then wanders off and cries. Um, And this was sort of like his sort of confronting Quarrel and having to, you know, very difficult for him to oppose Quarrel. And like, keeping a brave face while he's doing that, but then, like, how like much of a tax that puts on him after he leaves, and he has to sort of, like... And then he kind of, like, goes off, wander off on his own to uh, allow the mind-fucking to continue <laughs> while he tries to talk himself into the thing he shouldn't do.
0: Right. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, I think it, it does that, like you said, him kind of coming down from the stress pretty well.
1: I uh, never uh, said in the, uh, the the little thing I discovered, the um, the note from Lucius Malfoy... Uh, where he says, I know it was you. It was a uh, Ender's Game call-out. I should have pulled the the actual line. I think it's chapter five, I think. But, uh, yeah, Ender gets a, gets a note that says the the literal same words, I know it was you. So that explains... So, I, which sort of like, because there was oddity around, well, why would Lucius have sent that note? Uh, and I think the oddity is explained by the fact that it was a cool call-out to Ender's Game.
0: <laughs> well... Yes and no. One, great find. I think that's hilarious. and I've got the picture you sent. It was page 96, and it was signed Bernard. It's been too long since I've read the book to know what was going on here and what Bernard is pretending to know. So
1: Bernard was the uh, bully, uh, although he actually hadn't been targeting Ender at that point, but um, was bullying other people, and Ender played weird – games with their computer system in the school and and got by hacking into their computer system got people to be making fun of the bully and kind of knocked him politically took him out of the weird little school politics Um, but in a way like ender was pretending that it wasn't him the whole time and pretended to be ignorant of how it worked Um, and so then but later got a note from the bully saying that i know it was you that did that nice
0: yeah i mean I, so I, no doubt the word choice was yeah it was yeah it was word
1: for word I'm like oh is that just coincidence and I look I'm like no it was word for word so
0: no nah, other than the signature because why would Lucius sign it but um, in fact why and would why, Bernard and why would he sign it, it Bernard
1: s- why would Lucius sign it Bernard that would be weird right yeah that's a good <laughs> point that would make no
0: sense um, <laughs> I still wonder that doesn't explain exactly what Lucius was doing there but it, it Definitely, that's why the line and the note came that way. That's that's a fun find, good catch. It's funny.
1: I was because I was because uh, I read to my daughter uh, as we as she goes to sleep, and so I was like reading her that part. I'm still like going like, is Anders' game really okay for me to be reading to my 11 year old daughter? Um, no, we're gonna run with it. Uh, but I read that. And I'm like read that. I'm like wait a minute. I'm kind of like oh, and uh, and McKenna was like what? I'm like I, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> So like, it's oh, from the Harry gonna... Potter fanfiction <laughs> yeah. your dad's reading those. I her about it. it. She thinks that yeah, she, she finds it odd. Um,
0: she finds it odd. You odd, said yes. That you're reading a no, a
1: just pod... the, no the premise. So I've explained to her the whole premise and everything. Actually, no, I think she thinks it's kind of cool.
0: I was gonna say she seems cool. Yeah. If she thinks it's odd, then man, you just ruined my opinion of it. But all right, <laughs> if she thinks it's cool, then she can stay cool in no, my she, book. She
1: just largely the uh, the uh, apathy of an 11 year old. She's like, ah, boring.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh. I think that might just be how kids are going to be for the rest of their lives now. I don't know what it would be like to be raised online anyway. All right. So where were we back to the book? Um, again, sorry for the disjointedness, everybody. It was, this has been a unique for me and like five years of podcasting experience. So, um, Oh, he shows professor Quirrell. He's, he's thinking back on it that he had shown him the, the deck of cards and the note. And well, before showing him the note, he's just like, Hey, is this a porky? Um, and he's like, yeah, it'll take you to somewhere in London. And, Which I like, uh, he sort of he... had to,
1: like, sort of, like, just throw some uber magic on it. Because like, that's not something that, like, anybody could tell automatically. He was like, oh, yeah, no, that's... And because we had, there was sort of implied that, like, oh, there's the Salem School of Witchcraft in the United States. He's like, yeah, no, it's not going to take you to the U.S. It can take you to somewhere in London. Although it's, it's sort of like he doesn't know exactly where. It's just like, it's London-ish.
0: Right. Yeah, and it's, you know, maybe that's a a waypoint to the Salem Salem Witches Institute or it's, you know, something else. But clearly, uh, then then Quirrell points out um, that, uh, because then Harry shows him the note, uh, and it says, well, if you look at it carefully, it doesn't say it'll take you to the Salem Witches Witches Institute. It describes the school and says, if you need to, tear the heart, tear the king of hearts, Mm -hmm. which is just kind of like a funny, like, that's that sort of just, you know, mixy deception we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. Yeah, that's right. like, we're,
1: really? Because the dude could just lie to you. <laughs> it doesn't and, have to be that, technically true. Te- 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 sure, it doesn't matter. He could just bullshit you entirely. And maybe there's exactly. not even a school in Salem.
0: Well, at least uh, Quirrell didn't seem to deny that that existed, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he would know or not. Um, and maybe, you know, that's the sort of thing you might be able to look up in a book. But Maybe it's not even it's a funny. key. Right. Funny.
1: <laughs> no, it's just a deck of cards. Huh-huh.
0: Or it's like, uh, what's that? That letter that Ron gets, the siren. Oh, yeah, the howler. The card that just... Oh, the howler, yeah, yeah, that just screams. (laughs) So all it does is just deafen him if you're up to the king of hearts. I
1: don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think there's some, like, practical joke. No, he tears the card and it just yells out, Hey, everybody, I'm looking at porn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, there's... I. I think it would be really hard not to be friends with the Weasleys if I was in Hogwarts during this time. <laughs> I think I think magical pranking is the the surface is barely tapped. That's, I know that's true. Yeah, it's gold there, just waiting. There's waiting plenty waiting. plenty of room there. I mean, yeah, I was going to just go on a long tangent, speculating about all the kinds of cool you know magical pranks we could do. But I have no I would, idea how long this episode is because we turned exactly. out like so much from that's the true. weather. So
1: I would totally read a uh, side plot to the the Weasley twins a book where the Weasley twins are the main characters. I, I'm sure it's
0: out book. there. I'm sure somebody put together good fan fiction for yeah. it. I mean, what's...
1: Oh, God, rule... somebody put together... The, oh, God, I don't need that.
0: Well, no, so, so <laughs> definitely, there's, definitely there's Rule 34 there's definitely of it. But definitely that. But, but uh, what is it, like Rule 1 or 2? It's somewhere in the top 10 rules of the internet that if, it, if you can think of it, it exists on the internet. Yes. Yeah, so the, the good version of that, without all the disgusting Rule 34 shit, will definitely be out there, too.
1: <laughs> I think, really, it's only Rule 34 where that applies.
0: and all right well um just moving (laughs) right along we'll jump back (laughs) to chapter 66 self-actualization part one which is fun because we know we're getting into another arc and it opens with harry deliberating on the the wisdom of hesitation and deliberation which i I basically agree with everything he says he's like you know some some plans are called you know require you to wait and that's a good idea um, but hesitating isn't the same thing as not choosing. And if you're, if you're in a position where you're hesitating because you don't have, to, because you don't have enough information, it, it makes sense to like outline, okay, well, if this happens, I'll do this. If that happens, I'll do this. So he kind of just forces himself to think about it, that in either case, if the Dark Lord is out there or not, he's like, no, this is still a bad idea. So yeah. to my great satisfaction, he
1: tells Quirrell,
0: no too risky
1: (laughs) yeah and it's like in like clipped parcel tongue it's just like no too risky i like and but then and i think like Coral says well why um and i like the the reason he gives is a very like does not compute in Coral's brain reason uh but i like it was like solid was he's like uh, because i don't like doing things that make uh i don't remember exactly what i says but um You know, I don't like doing things that makes Hermione think I'm a bad person and makes Draco think I'm a stupid person. Um, And, like, that's a super not, you know, arrogant, quarrel, we're better than the rest of humanity view of things. Why would you do something when the, like, the punchline reason for it is merely the uh, opinion of, you know, mere mortals? Um, But it's like, it's a solid reason. Especially with Hermione, you know, Draco, you could... I, I could maybe be skeptical about that but because hermione's been such a, like a reliable like compass pointing to sanity um, that harry's sort of you know accepting that you know in the absence of anything else as okay if you know if i'm in a level of high uncertainty but hermione would think it was a shitty thing to do that's a solid enough reason not to do it um, was it, it's sort of a very it, it's definitely a very not quarrel thing but it's also sort of it kind of goes along with this kind of more like worn out but uh, humble kind of hairy thing that we've been getting is he sort of like like seeing like that is that is a good enough reason like my level of certainty about the whole world is pretty fucked up and that is a good rule of thumb to go by is Hermione doesn't think it's a good idea
0: yeah, when when he's in doubt, he can he can yeah. reach out and ground himself on his saner friends yeah. and say, okay, like Draco would call me a fucking idiot if I did this, yeah. and Hermione would call me evil. So you know what? Since I'm clearly struggling to make good decisions, I will go off what yeah. I think they would say. And what's fun too is that there's like this seething rage from the snake. He's like, you told yeah. them, and he's like, no, but I know what they would say.
2: Yeah.
0: And I like this. Uh, he says, you seriously care what those two think? True younglings, those two are younglings. not like you could not weigh adult matters but i yeah younglings, younglings. just i like the there because there is a word for children but he calls them younglings um well there's a word for boy child friend i'm sure children is also a parcel <laughs> mouth word but
1: younglings uh, is the word from uh from star, star wars, wars. Yeah, yeah. exactly so that's sort why of i implied, it. yeah that crulls like totally cool with killing all of them <laughs>
0: uh yeah have you squint i think that reference or that that does that not a leap of intuition whatsoever because right. i think
1: we only know that word younglings in the context of all the younglings got killed so
0: yeah which uh, the prequels anyway. <laughs> you know the whole thing I'm, I'm not a big fan of star wars i never really was i liked what they did like cinema like as far as like uh for like cinematography and like storytelling i think it, i think they would have been a lot better 50 years ago when they came out but watching them now yeah. and i saw them 20 years ago but um, I think when they when they first came out, this have been amazing. But now it's just like okay, there's like we were talking earlier like classical fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like all right, there's there's things better now than there were. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I think part of it, especially if you could like go back and watch them. I, I, the, the main problem uh, Star Wars has is that it's not actually as good as we all like want to tell ourselves it is, and then we become irritated that it didn't meet up to those unrealistic expectations.
0: Do you remember playing like Goldeneye on the N, on the N sixty four? No. Oh, well, it was uh, James Bond video game. Many of our listeners will no doubt have played it. And you look back and remember like, oh, that was so cool. Like there's all these secret dungeons and all this, you know, cool gameplay. When if you just Google any gameplay of it whatsoever, it <laughs> looks like it, it is way worse than you remember. <laughs> it is. Com- and even the, even the gameplay was dog shit. And and I, like my memory of it is so rosy. And then I watch some gameplay now. I'm like, oh, man, how did I ever enjoy that? Well, because there's nothing better to enjoy. So it was uh, it was good at the time. So, so
1: probably at the same age for me, I was playing wizardry, which had all three colors. Oh, damn. Yes. And its own operating system to run on a 360 kilobyte floppy disk. That's
0: pretty and, cool. Um, anyway, uh, Quirrell's like, okay, well, fine. Easy for you to say that now. Oh, cause Harry says, uh, um, you know, I'm fine if I have to stay here and study like Hogwarts is awesome, uh, you know, books, friends, cool food. And, like, you know what? As far as, like, places to hang out, Hogwarts is pretty fun. True. So, um, then uh, Snake Quirrell says, easy to say that now. Such as you and I, we do not tolerate imprisonment. You will lose patience long before your seventh year, perhaps before the end of this one. I shall plan accordingly.
1: that also, there's something about that for, like, such as you and I, like, also just sounds, like, creepily manipulative.
0: Totally. Well, because, and, and that's the thing is, you know, it, there was that awesome moment when, Quirrell was explaining to Harry about levels of deception, mm-hmm. and he asks, "What level are you playing at?" And he says, "One level higher than you." <laughs> and like this, this is a move. that again, that that calculated phrase. If you if you always keep the one level higher than you thing in the back of your mind, it all fits perfectly. Yeah. Like such as you and I. Well, Harry, you know you you admi- I know you admire me and want to be like me, and so I'm gonna go ahead and like say, you know, you and I are in the same group, and we people like us we don't do that you know and so it that would so appeal to that part of harry who wants to emulate professor Quirrell, you know yeah
1: it feels like harry's catching up though like the the attempts to manipulate from Quirrell are becoming like more obvious and like lamer like they're easier to see and not working
0: yeah harry's definitely getting wise to him i think
1: Um, that's cool like they're they're, they're almost kind of where it's not like he's just like brushing them off it's still hard for him but but they're not they're not quite as like supernatural as they seemed before.
0: Yeah, totally. Um then we get a line break and it's Hannah Abbott looking nervous, uh or looking unnerved as her money had ever seen her, which I guess the same thing as nervous. Um <laughs> and uh <laughs> except for the day of the Phoenix, the day of Electric's Black Escaped, which shouldn't ought to count for anyone. <laughs> and um the Huff Buff girl comes over and she's like, Oh my god, Harry and Neville are learning dueling from Mr. Diggory. Apparently he's Mr. Mr. Diggory. Diggory. And She's like Cedric Diggory, the Captain of the Quidditch team, and he's like got all these accolades, better than better grades than everybody. He beat two seventh year students and
1: And uh, he's a vampire.
0: Right, yeah. Immortal vampire and super handsome and uh apparently the, some of the teachers call him the super Hufflepuff, which I think is just adorable. <laughs> um and Hermione's like, Calm down. We're not fighting uh General Diggory, we're fighting Neville and Harry. Like they can't be studying that hard and um she's like and then Hannah's like freaking out. It's like, don't you see? Neville's studying. Not, he's not studying to beat us. He's practicing so he can fight Bellatrix Black. They're going to go through us like a bludger through a stack <laughs> of pancakes.
1: That. that was such a good. I'm like, is that like an adaptation of some other cool phrase? That was solid. I pulled that out. I love it. Go with like a bludger through a stack of pancakes. Nice. Right.
0: And then, uh,. Where were we? Um, it's, uh, it
1: was just a funny line, not not terribly significant, but I thought another funny line. So then, oh, yeah, Hermione, yeah a few moments later, Hermione was walking back to her place at the table with a sweet smile plastered onto her young face. It wasn't the terrible cold glare of Harry's dark side, but it was the scariest face she knew how to make.
0: Hermione's so pure. She's, she's awesome. just she's the the best puppy. <laughs> like she's just pure goodness. Like so, she can't do a cold evil glare but she she plasters on a sweet smile and that's her version of an evil glare like of course it is i want to be hermione's best friend (laughs) so then we get a line break and then just this quick little thing that we're not quite sure what's going on it's neville and he's like this is loony and he's gasping for breath and cedric diggory says this is brilliant and he's all like it says his eyes gleamed with manic enthusiasm um And it's like his usually light steps had changed to heavier stomps, and which might have something to do with the transfigured metal weights they had all attached to their arms and legs and strapped over their chests. Where do you get these ideas, Mister Potter? And then you grabbed out the last line, and I'm curious.
1: Yeah, strange old shop in. I guess it's a strange old shop uh, in Oxford, uh, and I'm never shopping there again. Thud. Which has got to be a reference to something, and apparently neither you nor I know where the hell that's coming well, I've from. I've never
0: been shopping in Oxford, so... Psh, loser. Strange girls <laughs> yeah, shopping in Oxford.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, I think like it must be like a reference to some other story or something, but... I think our listeners going to have to point this one out to us, but...
0: Yep. But some yeah. good and also, and, like, they... we, and we don't
1: know like even what they're up to other than... Yeah, it's weird. I guess maybe like they just going to have to be strong and badass while they're dueling with wands? I don't know.
0: I, I guess we'll hopefully find out soon. And somehow transition that If to only saying... you knew... If only I knew. Maybe maybe you'll know. Maybe we'll all know next week on We Want More when we cover chapters 67, 68, and 69. That was, that was Nice. Yeah, I'm getting good at these. All right. Well, that's it for that then. Um, do check us out at doofmedia.com slash, uh, well, slash anything. I guess I'm not sure what the <laughs> link actually protects to. If you go to doofmedia.com, you'll see the uh, Podcast, all the pages for all the cool stuff. Nice PMO. Yeah. Do check out, yeah, our stuff, but, I mean, all the other stuff on there is great. I keep shelling for them, but, you know, we're a little disorganized from this having gone on for much longer than what the episode will actually turn out to be, and uh, if you do find yourself um, in a position where you can donate some money, you can throw some money our way towards uh, the entire Doof Incorporated at uh, patreon.com slash doofmedia, or if you'd rather send some money to any, like, relief charities regarding the fucking mayhem in the U.S., uh, certainly, consider those as well um it doesn't have to be the uh the bail fund that we donated to you can look at i uh, i mean there's a hundred of them you know check out the uh um uh, blanking on the what's that there's a link on the do wow. set
1: though for what they're donating to you yeah? uh
0: there's there's at least one in the email i haven't checked the website um in any case uh by all means everyone stay safe out there have a good time And join us back next week for 67, 68, and 69.
1: Toodles have finished. Toodles.